Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on December the 12th, 2017. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the best third wheel ever. Didn't you use that one before? Maybe, but it definitely applies tonight. Uh, caffeine rage. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we've been playing. We'll be talking about Valve removing some adult games from Steam, loot boxes, legislation, and business models. UK's MPs and campaigners called Detroit Become Human Repulsive will have our weekly community corner with an email, and we have our weekly discovery queue is coming back this week. Uh, uh, is weekly in sarcasm quotes at this point? Yes. Hasn't it been nearly a month or over a month since we've done discovery queue? Yeah, I've said weekly discovery queue on everything and then cut it every week because we ran out of time. But we specifically said we were going to have it today, so we will have it. And also, timestamps will be in the show notes following the respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I think you're. I think you're right about using me using third wheel before. But given like the last, I don't know, ninety minutes of conversation that Katie and I have been having with you in here, also maybe ninety minutes is too much. But now, now the question is: it still Am counts. I the third wheel, or is Katie the third wheel in this case? Yes. Or am I the third? Well, you're a third of something. Indeed I am. Um, Yes, our life circumstances have brought us all closer together. As much closer to one big happy family than we were before. Uh... Hey, my family is a pretty good one to be in, <laughs> mister. <laughs> you just, you just take it easy there. We can be a little eccentric. Both of us can, especially me, but Katie can be too. But we we are very loving and kind people. Hate me, hate me. <laughs> oh, hi, Rage. How are you? Um, all right. Well, that's good. Uh, honestly, this is kind of the beginning of my day because I have a doctor's appointment again this week because I had to miss last week, so my sleep schedule is completely fucked. Very sorry. Uh, I need a doctor that's, you know, open during the night, but usually that's on the cedar side of things, so I don't think it's covered by my insurance. Yeah. I went to the doctor the other day, and even though they're covered by my insurance, my insurance didn't pay anything, because my insurance sucks dick. So, had to pay for that one out of pocket. But I got drugs, so that's nice. Yeah, you got that going for you. Yeah, my insurance paid for all of those. Well, almost all of those. I had to pay $9 for my drugs. But without my insurance, my drugs would have been like 100 bucks. So, Wow. I got that going yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. healthcare in the United States, uh, we like to think that it's really good, but honestly, it kind of sucks, not. really. Our healthcare really sucks. I've never... Pre- Ever since I learned about um, Canadian healthcare and then the broader <laughs> European healthcare, I'm like, God, United States healthcare is garbage. Why do people always say we have the best health care? We quite, certainly don't. Uh, quite simply, uh, people don't bother to learn about other systems. I mean, it's really just down to that. People have this, I guess, false sense of pride or yeah, misplaced pride, really in everything American. And boy, I, I, I'm sounding a, a, like a, a real grump grump, but it's I true. think that's actually pretty. I don't know if it's unique, but it's pretty much an American trait, like to say that America is the greatest country. 
Like I've, I heard that my entire life growing up as a kid, it took me until I was in college to actually do a little bit of learning about other cultures and countries and things to be like, actually America kind of sucks at a lot of stuff and we're pretty good at some things, but for the most part, we're average. And then we have some really crappy healthcare and really crappy insurance and right now, especially really shitty politicians. <laughs> well, I haven't been keeping up. Well, I've been keeping up, but I haven't heard the results of uh, the Alabama race. So I guess we'll see if there's still another shitty politician or not. Yeah, the last few news stories I saw about that were about how people, because they had purged their voter registries, people are showing up and being told they're not allowed to vote. And there's quite a few people. There's talk Can't about. Can't imagine why. There's talk about a lawsuit against the Alabama uh, state government just because there's something like a million people who lost the ability to vote and they weren't given any notice that they were purged from the registration so yeah and considering you uh, have to go through a lot of uh, yeah waiting around usually on election day unless you get there early yeah i i would be highly pissed and the fact that they make it on a tuesday it doesn't make a lot of sense these days yep Greatest fucking country in the world, guys. <laughs> greatest fucking country. The greatest yeah. at being a dumbass. Uh, the greatest at being uh, yeah, full of themselves, of, of uh, having this inflated uh, sense of self-worth, I think is uh, the best way to really say it. And I realize we're going deep end on the political, but uh, I, we're going to have it next week, especially considering Thursday is the net neutrality vote. Yep. Expect a lot more politics talk next week. Yep, you can. I'm. Um, I mean, you know, enjoy the last episode before we lose net neutrality, guys. <laughs> I hate. Well, actually, to be... no. What? What? What's? Oh, what's happened for you to say actually no? Vote Thursday, release Friday. See, see. Uh, so our episode we're recording before, but releasing after. You're right. You're right. The days of net neutrality are long gone, dear listeners. Unless something happened. Well, there's that bill that's being sponsored in Congress right now to stop the the vote and change the way that the FCC's like change. I forget exactly what it is. I read through it, but it's writing specific legislation to protect the internet to take it out of the FCC's control. Which is sad that it has to even be done like that. Yeah. Um. So. But I mean that was just sponsored like last week, so I don't yeah. think that they so, could get so it that's done not going to pass. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, that's not going to pass in time. Yep. Yeah, the, the big problem with uh, everything around neutrality is that it's not easy to really explain to the layperson or why it's so important. And then there's all the misinformation uh, from uh, really the internet service providers. So they think it's a great thing that, you know, <laughs> the net neutrality has gone away because they, you know, it's tough to really understand. And we'll be going more into this next week. Yeah. Because I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm listening to music and, uh, Alestorm comes up and I just hear, fuck you, you are fucking blank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, uh, 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 my theme song. <laughs> And pretty much how I feel about the FCC these days. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Well, let's let's move away from things that are not video games to actually talk about video games in our video game show. Rage, 
what games have you been playing for the last two weeks? Because well, I've got I've got a couple. Okay. Uh, let's start with uh, well, my one Sunday sampler because I had a uh, I struck out on the second one. I tried three games and just two just didn't want to record uh, either didn't record that well or I thought would make boring videos. And then third was just uh, I I don't have it on my list though because I, I play it for fifteen minutes and I. Uh, Stopped, uninstalled. It's like, no. No. But let's see. My first one is Carried Away. This is sort of a uh, take on the Bridge Builder game. Only it's uh, building ski lifts. It's an interesting take on things. Because you have to really consider a lot of different engineering challenges. in this uh, engineering puzzle game is what I call this uh, sort of little sub-genre thanks. And it's an interesting take on it because, like I said, there's a few different styles of uh, ski lifts that you have to contend with. You have to t- deal with your traditional ski lift, and then you have uh, gondolas, which are heavier and uh, move faster, so it puts more stress on things. And you have to also build drag li- or, uh, uh, drag lines, which run along the ground, and yeah, the skier grabs and is drug up the hill. It's not a bad start. There are, there, there are a few things that I didn't like about it. For one, there's also a skier mode where you're controlling the skier and you're making jumps. And I'm pretty sure that all the jumps are made out of twigs and you know, uh, little bits of cloth because they're fucking fragile. And it's really annoying as hell to try to deal with them. Either that or all the skiers are made out of depleted uranium. <laughs> Maybe it's both. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, trying to bake a ramp that a skier could uh, go down the long hill, hit the ramp, and then be launched is a lot more annoying than it should be. Even though they do have it where you're able to tweak things very easily uh, without having to rebuild an entire uh, section of well, structure or a, a entire new uh, build an entirely new structure just to slightly tweak a ramp or slightly tweak uh, the way a line uh, is uh, carried, which is nice. That's a, a nice touch on things, but trying to get it where the forces you know, don't rip jumps apart made the skier mode more annoying than it should have been. And also the fact that, okay, you control a skier, all right, uh, in the skier mode. Or you have the ability to control the skier, you know, uh, crouch, uh, uh, be able to jump or uh, lean forward and back. If there is more than one skier, you're controlling only one of the skiers. And they come in uh, two shorter intervals to be able to switch between them to uh, control each and every one. And because the skier doesn't you know, leave like a control flag or, any, or anything, like you're going down the hill and you crouch... What I would have liked to have seen is all the skiers behind that skier also crouch. You know, mirror the, the controls once they get to that point. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah, that makes sense. But, beca- but because it doesn't do that, it makes to control the skier function, if you are if you have more than one on the level, which is often completely useless. Oh, and there's also snowmobiles, which work about the same way, only they're powered so they can go uphills. And they're also a lot heavier, which makes the problem with all the jumps 
even worse because they're so fragile that you have to really, really build heavy duty for a ski, for a snowmobile. And listen to me rag on this game. You would think I absolutely hate it, but I actually liked it. It's just, the, I, there's this kind of bell curve for me. If I sort of like a game, I, yeah, I'm saying, yeah, I kind of liked it and that's about it. If I really liked a game, I start picking out a lot more that I disliked about it. And if I really hated a game, uh, I, yeah, rip it to shreds. And this got over the curve. Right. Yeah, I watched your Sunday sampler for this because it looked pretty interesting. And I still think it looks pretty interesting. Yeah, there are a couple other things. Like, uh, it does this weird loading with the physics where if there's... Uh, well, it's particularly bad on the gondolas since there are a heavier uh, thing where it'll kind of just drop everything and the cable is very elastic. Well, you saw it on the Sunday sampler. You saw exactly what I was talking about, right? Yeah. Where there's a lot of droop and because especially the gondolas are so heavy, it causes a stress load that on any other load would have, yeah, the the entire system would have done fine. But because of that sun spike, it breaks something and then, you know, the entire thing comes down. Granted, you can build around that, but it's unintuitive. It's something that you have to really brace for. And because of how the uh, elastic, elasticity of the cable makes it a little unpredictable on what will and will pass. As a matter of fact, I set up a level in my Sunday sampler to fail, and there was something going on with how it renders the physics, where it actually passed when I was recording it, but when I wouldn't record it, it failed. It it, it was, yeah, some sort of Schrodinger's level, you know? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, a quad, it, it was in a quantum state when I observed it, it would be one thing, but when I didn't observe it, it would be something completely different. <laughs> because funny. when I w- when I wasn't recording it, all the skiers would uh, kind of clip this tree and they would fall off uh, the ski lift and, you know, level failed. But when I was recording it, I guess it put just enough stress on the CPU that it did some sort of rounding. And everybody would just kind of bump on this tree and just kind of pop up and that's it. <laughs> Uh, it, it was kind of funny that I set up something uh, like that and it completely did something yeah, completely different. <laughs> uh, but you saw the Sunday sampler. So any questions? I don't think so. Um, actually, ha- one question. How much does this compare or feel overall to like other sort of like bridge, whatever simulator type games? Uh, well, there's there's the two modes, really, where the jump mode it feels a lot like, uh, let's say, poly bridge or, you know, standard bridge builder, you know? But because the focus of the game is mostly on the ski lifts, it does feel very different because you're building essentially a, a, an inverted bridge, really, or, you know, a, a, maybe a suspension bridge would be the proper term for it without the deck, you know? So you're trying to build a high wire instead of this flat deck that, you know, could be driven across. Granted, there are levels that kind of combine the two modes where you have uh, the jump uh, system where a skier goes up the uh, hill and then comes down and hits a jump and then goes to the uh, end of the level. I didn't show that on the video, though. I didn't encounter until, uh, you know, after I recorded and I looked at one uh, one or two other levels. 
And the level editor is very robust, but it's also slightly unstable, or at least I did something that caused it to be unstable, <laughs> because it does a procedural generation of the level as you move everything around, and it generates the background as well. And it didn't like a particular way I drove the terrain, and it crashed. I mean, a hard crash, just right to desktop. It's, nope, don't like that. <laughs> Uh, that that's way up uh, past double diamond, <laughs> but yeah, overall I liked it. It's it does have its flaws. It's still in early access, so and they are doing monthly updates and adding a uh, well. The development roadmap is offering a lot of hope for more varied content, like uh, bicycles, for example. Yeah, uh, mountain biking or. Um, I think that they're planning on something else as well and adding uh, uh, more puzzle elements as well on top of just adding flat out more levels. There are still a lot of levels in this already. And that's even before you get into the workshop. Overall, I'm impressed with it though. It's a nice uh, change of pace for the uh, bridge builder engineering puzzle game genre. I I really don't know what to call this. I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty much an engineering puzzler, though, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it looks very much like a lot of bridge builder games that I've seen before. Yeah, yeah just it looks with like... a different theme and yeah. a couple extra things on top of it. Well, it's just not the theme. It's really how it plays, <clears throat> just because it, you would think that, you know, looking at the screenshots, it doesn't play that differently. But because of how they throw uh, things at you, it is very different. And just... The, even just the different ski lifts uh, require a fairly different uh, building uh, style because the gondolas are so heavy. Uh, you have to really build something beefy. Uh, drag lifts, you have to keep them close to the ground, and that's usually some sort of uh, extra challenge. And standard ski lifts, you know, you could get away with building a little bit more fragile. Yeah. But, but yeah, you, know, you still have to be careful with the uh, ropes. And there's some crazy stuff in the workshop. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of room to toy around with and to try to optimize your uh, designs, which you know, is really where these, where this genre shines. You know, if you're a completionist uh, and wanting to tweak things, the bridge builder genre is just you know, perfect for you. Because you could sit down and really try to figure out, okay, do I need all these supports? Does the... Does the bridge actually have to stay up? <laughs> <laughs> Does it have to stay up forever or just long enough to get this one thing across it? Oh, there's a few levels that... Uh, there's a planned failure that I've seen that uh, has the skier just be flung across the map. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quite impressive. And it has a built-in replay system that's also uh, really impressive that... I didn't really get to show off that well because it's recording a recording and showing a recording. <laughs> yeah, it's odd. Yeah. But overall, yeah, a pretty good entry into the genre. So, uh, how about uh, something uh, a little bit different? Okay. Shadow Warrior 2. This, uh, I, I knew what I was getting into and... I absolutely love the first Shadow Warrior once I got past, you know, some of the level design because there's a few places in Shadow Warrior where it's, 
you know, you have to go around like a dark corner in order to figure out what the hell is going on. And it doesn't show you all that well. Uh, Shadow Warrior 2, it's a looter shooter. You know, think Borderlands almost. Uh, but kind of an inverse Borderlands where instead of getting tons of guns, well, that's not to say that you don't get tons of guns. There's like 80 guns in this game. You're getting a bunch of augments and you're able to swap them on the fly to, well, augment your guns and to change how they behave. You know, have, uh, a, you know, throw a akimbo uh, augment into a, into a revolver and suddenly you got two revolvers. Woohoo. You know, that sort of thing. And it's an interesting way to take the looter shooter because usually these uh, type of things, they go with you know, 20 billion guns and they're all slightly different stat-wise. But because of how Shadow Warrior works, or I should say Shadow Warrior 2, it makes it so that you can feel attached to the guns, but still constantly upgrade them and you know, tweak them ever so slightly. And it's, uh, it feels a lot better to me, to be perfectly honest, where... You're able to form that attachment like, yo, I absolutely love this chainsaw. I'm going to use this chainsaw. And I could uh, tweak it like, okay, this um, uh, guy is uh, weak to uh, fire. Well, let's put a fire augment and have a flaming chainsaw and yo, start uh, hacking at him. Yo, like a, a lumberjack, right? <laughs> yes, please. Flaming chainsaw. It's an interesting system on uh, how they change things. Created... I do see some flaws in it where it is a looter shooter and it is a chunk based, uh, random, uh, a chunk based randomly, uh, 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 randomly designed level, you know, where, uh, you have, uh, chunks of levels and they're kind of just smashed in together and, uh, you know, uh, that's your level. And there's times that, uh, the uh, traversal of the levels can be a little bit cumbersome because of just okay we need to go uh, kill this boss on this level and you have to go all the way across the level go through some caves uh, up and around and then you look at the uh, map and it's like I don't know where the fuck to go from here well, good luck <laughs> <laughs> so there is that navigation problem that I was having in the first uh, Shadow Warrior created it was just yeah it was not getting, not really used to how they were uh, designed the levels in the first one. Uh, cropping up again, only this time it's just the random uh, generation making it so that there's really no landmarks. So you're tra trying to figure out what the hell is going on based on you know, pings on the map and this pseudo GP. Well, the G think of GTA GPS, you know, where sometimes it gets a little drunk. Yeah. Okay. Well, th well, think of it instead of that. It's, uh, you know, you're sitting in a cave and it's telling you to go one direction. And whenever you know that goes completely the wrong direction, because it's the only way that it figured out to go to get to this ladder to be able to uh, continue on through the level. While you still have a lot of movement abilities, you have a double jump, you have dashes, you're able to climb and uh, go across roofs. And it doesn't really support that. Uh, on the GPS, and because of that conflict of information, it makes it very confusing at times. And uh, like I said, just with the lack of real landmarks, because of how everything is kind of smoothed together, it's like, okay, here you go. Overall, though, I will say that the combat is very satisfying. I mean, it has to be, because, you know, that's really the crux of this, because they're 
putting a lot more emphasis on side missions, on on just go do this thing because we need you to go kill a guy, you know? I mean, you are low wang. Pause for a chuckle. Hey-o. <laughs> and, uh, and believe me, there are a lot of dick jokes. Let's see. Uh, uh, what was the uh, the way the uh, Wang is long, hard, and ribbed for her pleasure? <laughs> uh. And it is over the top. It is glorious. I, I mean, uh, let's put it this way. One of the weapons is a fucking chainsaw. You're a ninja with a chainsaw charging at people. Yes. I mean, that pretty much says it right there, what to expect with this game, to be perfectly honest. And it's great. (laughs) I will say that I haven't really encountered too many bullet sponges, which was my other big complaint about uh, uh, Borderlands, and especially Borderlands 2, once you got further into the game where it seemed like everything took, you know, half a clip or a full clip. Things do drop fairly quickly. With the exception of bosses, and there's this one particular type of enemy that I encountered just toying around, where, uh, fuck that guy. Uh, they teleport around like crazy, and it is very tough to kill. It's not impossible, but it is tough. And uh, bosses typically, yo, know, you uh, knock them uh, down for a fair amount of health, they go invulnerable and spawn a bunch of uh, ads, you deal with them, uh... Uh, the boss becomes vulnerable again, and then you either kill or have a second wave of that. And that's uh, the closest I've hit to a bullet sponge, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it's uh, it's almost Warframe-ish, where it uh, puts the emphasis on you being an absolute badass and cutting through a lot of people. But it also allows you to really feel attached to your weapons because you're constantly upgrading them. You're getting just all these augments, all these abilities... Uh, you have your chi powers. Uh, uh, some are returning from the first game. Some are brand new, like be able to shoot spikes up and uh, be able to just penetrate people, get them uh, hanging up in the air, and then you're just able to finish them off. It's a lot of fun, but if you're looking for a more story-based game, the story is there. But unless you're really good at, at first-person shooters, it requires you to go off, go off and do other things because there's this leveling system where you're building up your uh, skill points and uh, getting new abilities, uh, building up your health, uh, building up your guns. And if you don't do that, yes, it is technically possible to be able to progress, but it gets harder and harder and harder because you're falling behind the curve. And that feels like a little bit of a detriment to me. It really depends on how much you like just running around with a chainsaw at a bunch of Yakuza, you know? Yeah. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and um, it does have mul- uh, uh, multiplayer. as up to four-person co-op. Ooh. Well, and I really like how... Th- to do. Well, uh, I-, I was originally going to record it, but the thing is that it is running my PC to the absolute max. Uh, to the point where... I've actually had to go into my old specs and figure out what is going on because it's causing a heat issue. It's running my uh, CPU 100% across all the cores. 
Which says a, a lot with how uh, this game is built, to be perfectly honest, that's running on all the cores. That's good, though. Yeah. Because you have... Do you have an eight-core CPU? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good, because most yeah, games I was trying to figure out, only hit yeah, I was, two to four. Really yeah, I was trying to figure out, okay, why am I getting uh, you know, occasional just uh, frame rate drops uh, rather sharply for about a second, and then comes back up? And then I was looking at my uh, uh, monitoring applications. It's like, I'm getting a heat issue. And then I noticed uh, my CPU usage was 100%. So... I am able to play it, but I'm not able to record it because it puts just enough stress on things, which was frustrating. Because that's originally why I got this, was to be able to record it. <laughs> right. But I do like how they handled, uh, yeah, uh, who's the protagonist uh, on multiplayer. As in, you are the protagonist. For you, you'd be Lo Wang, and I'd be a random ninja. For me, I'd be Lo Wang, and you would be a random ninja. Nice. And they do have the one issue that I had, well, I should say the major issue I had with Lo Wang was that, but it's really the problem with any vocal protagonist, is that you start to hear the same voice lines very quickly. And if you don't like Lo Wang, uh, you know, uh, making acupuncture jokes whenever you shoot somebody with a bow and arrow... You're going to really not like this game. <laughs> well, I'd be okay with that. I'd like those jokes. Yeah, I just wish... Th uh, it's kind of weird to wish this was a more linear game, to be perfectly honest. Or I should say a more emphasis on the story, because you do have a lot of side activities to do. And there's a free DLC that, are all, that also adds a lot more uh, side activities to do. But it feels like almost that the story is kind of, yeah, uh, a, just a secondary thing, you know? Yeah, it's not that important to, you know, uh, for, uh, to do this thing that is uh, very important. Because, you know, we need you to go uh, kill a bunch of, uh, uh demonic bunnies. <laughs> really? Demonic yeah. bunnies? Yeah. How much does this game cost? Uh, well, I got it on, uh, Chrono GG for $15. <laughs> it's 40 bucks on Steam. I'll just, it's it's on my wish list. <laughs> is this one we're going to have to save for recording? Uh, maybe. I, that might be a good idea, because if it's maxing out your CPU, you'll have to wait till you get your yeah uh, upgrades, upgraded system. Yeah, which uh, has gotten pushed back because of personal reasons. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but uh, overall, I really enjoyed the combat. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and just the how much uh, emphasis they have on movement and the fact that you do have an option to go stealthy if you really want to. But to be perfectly honest, I think it's more fun just to you know, go absolutely nuts. And with uh, how they have everything set up where you can augment for like health steal and that sort of thing, it is very possible to uh, grab your sword and just go absolutely berserk or your chainsaw. My, yes. <laughs> my chainsaw. My flaming, I mean, just, life stealing chainsaw. That's what I want. I, I mean, to uh, be perfectly honest, isn't that all we ever want? This is true. And there's, uh, and I'm not even highlighting some of the more interesting things. Like, there's an augment that allows you to throw your uh, gun down and it becomes a turret. Uh, there's uh, charge up mechanics where you could uh, have a 
grenade launcher that you hold down, uh, fire and it, uh, hours up the shot. Uh, there's in the, I would say about 10 hours that I played, you know, just doing the random side stuff. And there is free room modes as well. So you could also go back and, you know, randomly kill things as well. Uh, there's different grenade launchers. There's, uh, I would say I got four or five different options for swords, uh, uh, assault rifles, uh, SMGs, a baseball bat. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of uh, weapons that you get. Oh, and you have eight weapon slots. Nice. <laughs> eight weapon slots, and you could change your equipped weapons in the middle of a mission. And you could change augments in the middle of your mission. So, in reality, it's eight quick swap slots and 80 weapons. Nice. I'm in. Oh, <laughs> uh, you want to join the way of the wang? Yeah, I do. And and they also start off uh, with the uh, same, uh, sort of the same opening from the uh, uh, from the previous Shadow Warrior game, uh, where uh, yeah, '80s uh, rock. <laughs> I like '80s rock. <laughs> oh, such a fun time. So let's go to a not-so-fun time. All right, go for it. Never Alone. This is a game that I feel like I should like a lot more than I do. But this is uh, what I've been playing on my channel uh, lately. Just uh, trying to get some content out there. As uh, you know, my other content is in the process of uh, getting set up and uh, you know, Jared having a life. So Never Alone is a 2D puzzle platformer based around an Inuit uh, folktale. And I absolutely love the theme and the story of it so far. But the gameplay has just gotten in such a way of things. It has pissed me off to no degree. As a matter of fact, let me send you a link, all right? This is okay. going to be a GIF of my... Uh, uh, video, I would say five minutes uh, into the first episode. Five to ten minutes, alright? Okay. I want you to watch this. Come on, give me the link. I mean, well, you have given me the link. Meant, <laughs> meant Skype. Uh, you control either a, a Inuit girl or a snow fox. Okay, I'm watching. Wait, did you just, like, zoom? Yes. She, she got stuck <laughs> in a platform <laughs> and then shot off and then the fox jumps up and then down well, 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 well I was uh, controlling the fox at the time and I'm trying to you know it's like okay what uh, well I, it was a mixture of what just happened and laughing my ass off <laughs> that's great yeah there's been a lot of moments similar to that where she's gotten stuck in things there's been some weird uh, clipping or uh, because of how they have this sort of two and a half D thing going on, uh, the foreground or the background either looks like a platform or doesn't look like a platform where it's throwing off the platforming. It's been very frustrating to the point that it's taken me out of the story a lot to the point where in the latest episode that I just released, there was this big emotional moment, but because I was so fucking frustrated with this game, I just didn't care. And it's been very disheartening because I really wanted to like this game. 
But damn. I mean, you're. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, go ahead. I mean, uh. I was going to say, a lot of the stuff that you're saying is what I remember, like, TB and other people saying when this game came out. Well, was see, it, I never. Years ago? Yeah, I never really listened to what was going on with it outside of, uh, yeah, just the general consensus of it. And I bought this for, like, two bucks. So I can't be that mad about the money I spent on it. Yeah. But damn, they did some serious quality control on this because there's a lot of little things. There's There there was one sequence where I failed because the, well, it's it feels like it's built around co-op, to be perfectly honest. Because if you're controlling one character in single player, the AI controls the other one. And the AI could sometimes fall behind. And there's a lot of timed platforming sequences where you have to go through a series of jumps very quickly. And the platforming is very heavy. It's very weighty. Think, uh, I guess Tron would be a good example of this, where everything feels very sluggish. And uh, and done well, it's fine. But it requires a lot more precision than something like yeah, you know, Mario or Super Beat Boy or something, you know, where it's a lot more movement based. It's a lot more fast paced. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And because they're not able to really resolve the weightiness and have this clumsiness to this weighty, slow platforming, and especially since they're throwing in puzzle elements as well and timed, pla- uh, timed puzzle elements and time platforming elements in this sluggish, slightly buggy uh, platformer it's just really pissed me off at times which is a shame because this could have been a real opportunity to show a culture that just really isn't shown in uh, really media in general I I mean think about it discounting Avatar the last airbender what's a a media that has Inuits in it that's shown up Without them being, you know, kind of stereotypical, you know, uh, you know, wise uh, native person, you know, or, you know, just kind of just thrown in there, but, you know, shown in a positive light. It's Ava- tough for me to really Avatar. think. <laughs> Which you just uh, said without mentioning that, but yeah. that's the only thing that comes to mind outside of, outside of this. Yeah. It just feels like such a missed opportunity to be perfectly honest. This is something that should have been. Uh, worked on, uh, I would say a good couple more months because it's just you know, uh, bug testing and uh, really polishing. Either that, or this uh, fell to victim to you know the developers knowing exactly how to play, and you throw it to you know, uh, the general population that don't know how to play the game, and the client and the cluckiness comes out. Yeah. Because the developers may know, okay, well, the fox spirit follows uh, follows the girl a lot closer than the girl follows the fox spirit. And so, in uh, this time platforming section, you switch the girl and you'll get through it every time. But, you know, if you're in the previous section where, you know, the fox was uh, the focus and you have to pay attention to that, then it really, uh, yeah, kind of gets a little clunky. And there's also some weird things with, uh, well, the platform that I showed you in the GIF well, is a spirit that only appears whenever the fox is nearby. Well, there's sections where uh, the spirits will follow the fox uh, through the screen and uh, the girl either stands on them or clings to them. Well, 
in some areas, there's the obvious solution, but the obvious solution sometimes isn't correct because, yeah, the developer says so. And there's one sequence where I was having trouble figuring out what was going on because, uh, you, un, uh, you know, you unlock the spirit and it was clinging to the wall and the girl grabs on the spirit and then it follows the fox as it goes, as the fox goes up a, an adjacent wall. And in order to get that spirit in the first place, you had to follow that path. All right. Well, the solution to that section was to do a, a more elaborate jump off this other spirit that you unlocked because the uh, fox is able to kind of claw, uh, claw its way up a wall for a short period of time. But it's not an obvious solution whenever the other way is more elegant and a way that you already went. You see where I'm going with this now? Yes. Your eyes are glazing over, aren't they? A little bit. <laughs> it's just a very, very clunky puzzle platformer, and it's really put me off on it because of just, oh, it could have been so much better, which is saddening, to be perfectly honest. Oh, well. Uh, moving along? Unless you have uh, questions? Nah. I mean, you know, like I said, you said a lot of stuff that I... uh Remember, like, TV and others saying about this game? Yeah, and I uh, was, wasn't really paying attention to the hype around it. It just, it looked interesting, and I waited until it was uh, on deep discount. Right. Which is typically how, you know, uh, these sort of things go. And it's something I wanted to try eventually. It, it could have been, uh, you know, in the League of Brothers of Tale Two Sons, if it was done better. Because it has sort of that general feel. But just with how they uh, handled the platforming, uh, uh, I would have loved to have seen this more polished. So, uh, speaking of things about polish, let's uh, go to Battle Right. Alrighty. This has been a game that's really surprised me, to be perfectly honest, because I tried it on kind of a lark. Yeah, we didn't record last week, so you know, I figured yeah, I'll throw in something a little bit random. And this really was interesting to me. This is, well, it's kind of hard to really describe because the obvious uh, way to describe it would be MOBA, but it's not a MOBA, or at least uh, not the main mode. It's a multiplayer online battle arena. (laughs) Where, uh, think of it as essentially the team fight in League of Legends with all the boring bits uh, cut out. And the reason why it's so interesting to me, for one, it's not tying into an RTS skill set that I'm lacking. Everything is skill shot, yes, and you're using your mouse to aim with a a few extra abilities that you would have in a MOBA, or I should say League of Legends style MOBA. But for one, you're moving with WASD, so that's a huge plus for me right away because I'm able to draw more of a twin stick shooter feel and where everything is more skill shot oriented there's less kind of just random bullshit going on and it's also a lot more clearly designed where yes the different uh, champions heroes whatever you want to call them have their own different abilities but there's a set artistic style where all the shield abilities 
share a very similar look. All the area effect abilities share a very similar you know, look on how the AoE is about to land. And it's very clear to a layperson what exactly is going on at a glance without having to spend hundreds of hours of going into the game. Plus, there's not a huge uh, cast of characters yet. There's about 20-ish. So there's enough variety where you're not hitting the same ones all the time, but at the same time, there's not, yeah, the League of Legends 200 characters where they're all slightly different. Yeah. And because it's, yeah, it's a PvP game. I mean, it's straight up. You're not having to worry about, okay, well, this particular hero is great in late game because they're able to farm up there and get all the uh, stuff out of the shop. There's none of that. It's literally just go in, kill things. And it's a very interesting uh, way to do it because, well, for one, they're using sort of the Overwatch model mixed with League of Legends where they have the free rotation of uh, heroes. I think it's two out of every uh, class and there's uh, eight in the melee and ranged and I think there's seven in support, which support is more, okay, This uh, these characters could heal and do something else than, yeah, just... Well, this uh, uh, one could only buff and that sort of thing. So you have a your free rotation, but you also have the Overwatch model of as you level up, you're getting chests with different cosmetics, you know, the loot chest things. Which uh, and free to play games like this, I'm you know don't really have a problem with loot chests. To be perfectly honest, but they're generous enough with the coins, the uh, currency in the game. That I've been able to get with just really playing with the AI and you know getting a feel for some of the heroes. Uh, I've gotten about a quarter of the heroes so far. I mean, how, how long have you played? How long? I've gotten uh, well. I don't have Steam up right now, so I would say probably ten, twelve hours. I think that's that's pretty quick for a game of this type or genre or whatever yeah. you want to say, with it being free to play. Yeah. Uh, Created some of the, uh, I don't want to call them more powerful. I would say less user friendly. Okay. I'm, I just went to my Steam profile. 9.7 hours. Okay. So right at 10 hours. Uh, all the heroes feel pretty well balanced. All the heroes have their movement abilities. They of some sort, either a teleport or they able, to, uh, they're able to go invisible for a short time. Uh, they have some sort of crowd control. Uh, the support heroes have some, some way to heal, either AoE heal or it's a, a, a byproduct of their uh, left-click attack, you know, their basic attack. But they feel all pretty well-balanced. Are there uh, stronger compositions? Yes, but that's really just comes down to how uh, certain heroes come together. Because a support hero with a lot of health, backed up by a very powerful healer in support... Uh, will be a lot more powerful than you know, two very squishy range characters. But the matches are very short. Each round is two minutes before this whirling death cloud starts rolling into the arena. And if you're outside the uh, the circle, you start taking massive damage. Uh, and it forces everyone to the center to uh, yeah, basically finish the round. And it's best of five. So... I would say minimum five, maximum of ten minutes. 
So even if you do hit some sort of odd uh, uh, skill gap or you're just having a bad time, you're not in a match long enough to for it to really matter. And there's a few other things where as you take damage, uh, your maximum health depletes. So support heroes are less important than you would think on their healing side of things where let's say you take a hit and you drop down to half health. Well, you could be healed up to some extent, but you're not going to go back up to full health or I should say the maximum that your character would normally have. But there are health orbs scattered around the arena that will uh, increase that maximum health as well as heal you, of course. And there's energy orbs, which will uh, give you extra energy. And then there's the orb in the center, which takes a fair number of hits, which gives a, a large amount of health and a large amount of energy. And it's last hit on that. And that's the closest thing that you have to a minion in this game. <laughs> and a lot of the game comes around to who gets that last hit on the orb, because it could really swing things. It's an interesting design for things. It both looks and sounds good after you've described it. And I mean, we talked about it a little bit before mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, so far, I'm I'm really liking this uh, kind of uh, support shaman character that has this wolf she could uh, uh, send out to uh, damage people. And she uh, she's a support character, so she's able to heal. Her uh, There's, let's see, there's five abilities plus the movement ability, which is always on the space bar. And uh, and on top of that, you could also burn uh, some of your energy as you build, as you damage things or heal things. You're building up your energy for your ultimate, which is usually your most powerful ability. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's more situational than anything else. But you're also able to spend energy to augment certain abilities. And each hero has different things. Like the healer I have, she's able to spend energy on her teleport, which could also... Uh, do a damage reduction on allies or damage increase on enemies. It, it sounds like a lot, but it's one of those things that after you play it for a bit, it, you really start to get a feel for it. And this game also has a very robust just training mode and sort of a pseudo playground where you're, you're able to go into the arena with a bunch of target dummies with any hero, locked or unlocked, Turn on infinite energy and just fool around and tour around with some of the battle rights, which the battle rights are modifiers for different abilities. So you could set this let a loadout for, uh, I want to have a more damage oriented, uh, support character. So you could set your battle rights to be more damage oriented, or you could set it to be more survival oriented, or uh, really a mixture of the two. You have a choice of five battle rights out of, Depending on the hero, you got 10 to 15. So it makes a lot more customization than you would think about this game. So far, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, granted, I am still mostly playing against the AI, and it's good enough to get a feel for, but it's not putting up a huge challenge. Uh, I've been going through the characters as they go through the free rotation, just getting a feel for things. Because that really seems to be what you should do for the at least the beginning of the game to get a feel for. Okay, this character has this shield ability that if you uh, hit him in melee, he's going to stun you. If you hit him with ranged, it, there's a chance that he can bounce back and hit you. So, don't do that. But it's been fun so far. 
even in the training mode. Yeah, like I said, it looks interesting. Uh, yeah, I might... it's uh, two on two and uh, or three on three for the uh, arena mode, and there's some sort of uh, like base attack thing. It looks like where you go kill uh, a guardian, the enemy uh, 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 base. I don't want to call it boba mode because I don't think there's minions, but I haven't tried it yet. But I would like to play with you sometime. I was going to say, I'll I'll have to download this and see if I like it. If I do, then it, we can play 2v2. Yeah, I would say it's more twin-stick shooter than MOBA uh, on how it uh, handles things. Everything Jeez. is either skill shots, you know, direct shot, or there are some AoEs, but they're usually longer uh, cooldowns. Uh, but you were saying, or asking? Oh, well, you said twin stick shootery i said does it have con- i was gonna say does it have control um i don't think so it, it would be tough to do controller support with this because there's a lot of well i shouldn't say there's a lot but there's usually at least one ability on a hero that has some sort of aoe uh, that you have to target but it's usually you know as more of a situational thing like let's see asga the uh this fire mage uh, he's able to throw out this flame wall, and you have to target the area for that. And his ultimate is a directional ability. So you could do that with twin stick, you know, uh, controller support, but it would be tougher. You probably could do some sort of profile with the uh, Steam controller, because it does a uh, a location or a, a lock to controller setting. Yeah, you know, be able to lock the stick to uh, or lock the mouse to uh, your character in uh, the area around it. But that would be more difficult. I would say that's definitely mouse and keyboard, though. Uh, they would have to change the game too much, I think, to be uh, really controller supportive. All right. Well, I am downloading it right now. And they do throw so. out the cosmetics quite uh, a lot. Um, my character, or all the characters have their own level system. Where as you uh, play with them, and it's just unlocking either cosmetics, currency, or the loot chests. You uh, get them from uh, leveling up characters and for your account level. And so far, the account level seems to be pretty consistent of getting a level every few matches. And that's even just playing on the AI, which gives lower score. At least I think it gives lower score. I know it it gives uh, less gold. But like I said, it's a training mode. I'm getting a feel for the different characters and seeing what I like. And I want to have at least two characters I'm proficient with before diving into PvP. Because it is very skill-based. Alrighty. What else you got? You got one more. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, Xenonauts. A throwback to old XCOM. And I've been thinking about how to talk about this. And... Yeah, how to say that I've liked uh, my feelings about it. I think I've figured out the best way. I like this game so much, I bought it twice. <laughs> yes, you did. You bought it one time for me. Yep, and you didn't get around to it yet, so you I can't do it yeah, the comparison. But this is a throwback to old XCOM with uh, some twists on it from uh, what I understand based on what you were saying. It's uh, the 1970s for one, so it's uh, yeah older technology. And 
the they do a few things differently. I'm trying to get the best way to really dive into this because it's an XCOM game or XCOM-like game, so pretty much you already know the basics of it. Turn-based strategy, grid layout, go around, shoot aliens. Right. But they address some of the things that really didn't make sense in the mainline reboot of the XCOM series, like why the hell am I only sending out, what is it, four people for a squad? <laughs> uh, yeah, starting with four, up to six, and then if you use the Long War mod, you can get that up to ten. Well, this, you start off with eight, and then you go up to, I believe, twelve. And you're also able to throw in scout cars pretty early. But it takes up the room of two people because of, you know, wait, your, your helicopter just can't carry it and all the soldiers. So it's uh, limited by room and weight. So it's throwing in a lot more management and tweaking a lot earlier than the uh, mainline XCOM series and the fact that there's no set classes. So everything is stat based. You have. All your uh, soldiers with their various stats, but you're able to change everything in between missions. This guy didn't work out as a sniper? Give him a fucking assault rifle. You're a rifleman now. Good luck. And just that freedom of having the ability to tweak around and uh, do different things was really refreshing to me. And just other things that make a lot more sense in this game, like the ability to have more than one uh, landing craft and send out multiple squads. Uh, the cover system is a little bit more obtuse than the XCOM series because I just wasn't used to eight directional. <laughs> uh, or, or sorry, nine directional, wouldn't it be? Because, no, eight. Uh, eight directional uh, cover. So my first few times trying to play the game, I just got slaughtered because. I was thinking I was in cover, but because they were approaching me kind of catty quarter, I was in the proper position, was getting shot, and I wasn't understanding what was going on. So that's probably my biggest complaint about it, is that they're a little bit obscuring on the cover system. It's But that's also coming from the new XCOM to a homage to the old XCOM. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what the cover system was on the old XCOM, because you and I had, like, a, while well, we were chatting the other night, and you were saying stuff, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that from the old XCOM, but I can't remember what the cover system was like from the old. Yeah, it was just kind of throwing me off, and the fact that crouching is so important in this game, uh, not just behind cover, but also to uh, steady your weapon for shots, and this doesn't use the uh, the two movement system of the newer XCOM series. This uses time units, like the old XCOM, right? Yeah. Where actions take a certain amount of time. Uh, digging around your backpack for, you know, that uh, pistol you uh, stashed in there takes a certain amount of time units. Firing takes a certain amount of time units. And depending on the uh, amount of time units you invest in the shot, which improves your accuracy, you're able to shoot more than once. Uh, moving around takes time units, of course. It's something that makes a lot more sense, to be perfectly honest, because you're also able to 
do things with other units and come back to a unit that you're using before and continue your actions. So let's say, uh, yeah, my rifleman, uh, is, uh, being flanked. I switch to my shotgunner. Uh, I have him go, uh, go around, throw a uh, flashbang to stun the uh, alien. All right. Switch back to my rifleman. Yeah, get him into cover, switch back to the shotgunner, get him into cover, and then open fire, assuming I have enough uh, time units left. In the uh, newer XCOM reboots, I can do anything like that. No. In the newer XCOM, you get two actions per turn, which can be moving, shooting, using equipment, um, using an ability, and, you know, once you do your two things, you're done. And most of the time, if you move, you can't do a second... Or no, no, no! If you shoot, you can't move. Yeah, and in this, you could uh, shoot and move. Yeah, you can move and shoot, but you can't shoot and move. Which, yo, know, doesn't really make a lot of sense. I like the time unit uh, system a lot better, even though it's a more obtuse. And I understand why the reboot uses it because it, yeah, you know, it makes it more streamlined. It's a lot easier to explain in a tutorial. This, it doesn't really have that great a tutorial system. It's more. Mess around it with a bit. Okay, I think I understand this system now. Okay, what do these stats do? Okay, all right. Now I think I understand. Your your first few uh, missions and your first few playthroughs, because you will want to restart, is more just getting a feel for the systems, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, setting up your base is important, but it's more the location of your base. Because this isn't like the first XCOM where you have... Uh, yeah, you're trying to focus on really a single continent for the first part of the uh, game until you're able to launch satellites. This, you build up your base, try to get it to where it could cover more than one funding area, and then um, pretty much immediately start building a second base for more coverage. It's a weird, weird system, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> It does sound a lot like the original XCOM, though, because you could have multiple bases, and you could only operate so far from your original base, Yeah, and there were pros and cons to your starting base, because it's like, oh, if you pick, like, a really, um, pick, like, the United States or China or somewhere in Europe to have your first base, then you're going to have a lot sort of bigger, hotter missions right off the bat, because the population centers, but... Yeah, you this doesn't have quicker that, access. at least yet. I'm still pretty early in my playthrough. I'm uh, based out of North Africa, and my radar range is able to cover most of Europe, pretty much all the Middle East, and some of South Africa. So I'm able to uh, protect a good chunk of my areas. And because of how the system works is that, based on your difficulty, if you lose too many continents to the aliens... Or too many funding areas, I guess I should say, because it's broken up into various areas. Like, and uh, they do uh, clarify that, yeah, you know, some areas don't make gra- a geographical sense because they clump uh, Canada and United States in as North America, and then put Mexico into Central America just to give a you know a bigger chunk instead of you know just having this little slither for uh, Central America. Uh, if you lose too many areas, it's game over. So you pretty much have to expand pretty quickly. It, it may end up being the first part of the game has a 
best way to play and that it becomes a, a lot more open. But so far I've been enjoying just, you know, figuring out what my perfect uh, unit compositions is. Fill, uh, uh, filling out my uh, unit roster. Toying around with, okay, I have people that have really good shots, but their strength is uh, uh, really weak. So don't want to put them anywhere near the front line. Let's make them snipers. Looking at my uh, possible uh, soldiers and picking out you know the best of the best. And just the fact that there's no... Okay, this guy looked pretty good. Ah, oh, crap. The game decided that he was going to be this class I don't need. I don't have to deal with that. Grant also lose the ability to give him perks. But that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Because usually those perks are something that's kind of built into this base game anyway. You know, like Squad Sight, for example. Uh, for snipers, which was pretty much a requirement in the original XCOM or original reboot XCOM. Oh, yeah, it still is a requirement for XCOM. This it it's pretty <clears throat> much built baked into all the snipers. They're able to shoot uh, as long as they have line of sight. And something that I do like is that whenever you're lining up your shot, it draws the path of the bullet, so you're able to see. Okay. I have a 80% chance to hit, but it's going to clip my rifleman and he has, you know, a 15% chance to block the bullet and blocking the bullet means, yeah, with his skull. <laughs> yes, there is friendly fire in this game, by the way. <laughs> so it uh, takes a lot of the guesswork out of the game. Granted, there is still, you know, XCOM moments of missing two 95% uh, uh, shots, but granted, that is still a 5% chance to miss. But there's less guesswork. There's less glitchy oddball cameras because it is in that isometric view. Uh, there's a lot more things that make sense. Like I said, it, you know, just the squad size in general, it gives you a lot more strategic choices where... Okay, I want to have somebody that is a breach unit. You know, send him in with a riot shield and a pistol and a bunch of grenades. And the reboot of XCOM, because of such the uh, because of such a limited pool of units that you have on the field at any one time, even with the expanded uh, uh, squad size, it feels like you're really gipping yourself. And this, if my breach unit doesn't really make an impact. Well, I still have seven other units on the field, and that's even before I improved the dropship to have ten units or have uh, the squad car. So I have, you know, five other units and a squad car moving around. I mean, it's just, it's things like that that makes it feel a lot better to me. Yeah, I'm definitely going to play it this week, and I think I'm going to compare it sort of in my head both to old XCOM and then XCOM Reboot with mods. Yeah, granted, I haven't played as much Reboot XCOM because I've always screwed up on two aspects of the newer XCOM. One, base management. This stuff does have the base management still where you're building up your base, but there's no adjacency bonuses that you have to worry about. There's no, okay, well, there's a a steam uh, in this area, so... If I build here, I'm losing possible extra power in this area. There's no power generation in this game. You, you, 
you're able to draw, I guess, off the power grid or whatever, you know. So there's none of that. There's, uh, though having to dig down uh, deeper into the area or deeper into the ground for the original reboot XCOM. Original reboot XCOM. That's a hell of a mouthful. It's uh, just spread out over this square and you're building out from the central hub of the base. And you don't have to fill out everything completely. You could have a base where it's just literally fighters and radar and a couple missile turrets if yeah, aliens come a little too close. And there is a an, uh, dogfighting sort of mini game, but I don't really play it too much just yet. I mean, I'll just throw enough jets to be able to auto-resolve. But it's uh, 2D radar-esque. You know, you know send in your jets, uh, shoot down the alien craft, and then send in uh, dro- the dropship. Night missions are a lot of fun, though, but I'm going to save that for yeah for you to find out on your own. Okay. Can't wait, uh, then. Uh, any uh, questions? Uh, I don't think so, because I'm going to play it this week, so I, I don't want to spoil anything for myself by accident. Yeah, I mean, Green, I have to uh, build a, a bite out of uh, the learning curve for you, just telling you to crouch. Crouching gives you immediate 20% bonus to miss chance on an incoming fire. Yeah, I mean, that was a thing in original XCOM. Well, see, because I, uh, because there's the auto-crouch in the reboot, it's something I didn't really consider. Yeah. Oh, and also, one other thing I really like about this is that whenever you encounter an alien, there's no cutscene where they all scramble to cover. You're able to catch an alien out and uh, kill it. Yeah, I hate that scramble mechanic. That was one of the worst things about... Yeah, and they the kept X-Com it, didn't they? Um, sort of. You know, there's the, in XCOM 2, there's this mechanic where that um, you can... Because you're like guerrilla fighting forces, you can hide. And so you can see the other guys move around the map. And if you get spotted on your turn, everyone stays where they are. But if you get spotted on their turn, then they get that opportunity to, like, rush to cover. So, like, if you fuck up, you don't get punished for it, aside from the fact that you got spotted. But if they find you on their movement to cover. Yeah, on this, if you encounter an enemy, uh, yeah, movement stops because it's uh, using the time unit instead of, you know, uh, if, if you had movement stop in the reboot, that would really be bad. Yeah. Uh, but in this, uh, you know, the unit stops and it uh, draws your attention to where the uh, alien is, but the alien doesn't move. Granted, there is a reflex mechanic. It's sort of an auto uh, overwatch mechanic, but it's based off the every unit's reflex stat. So a unit that has a higher reflex stat uh, is more likely to take reflex shots and is also, I believe, more accurate with them. So there's... Uh, kind of a uh, give and take on what you want to do with your uh, turn units. And as uh, the units go through battle, their stats improve based on you know, what happened to them. If they use a lot of their time units, they slowly build up and get more time units. If they uh, took damage, there's a chance that they'll uh, yeah, become more resilient to damage because, uh, I guess, yeah, scarring, you know, scars are cool, right? Absolutely. Like, uh, chicks dig scars. 
Until you get horribly deformed. There's a bell curve. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, the uh, stat mechanic makes it so that, you know, if a rifleman eventually uh, you know, takes enough uh, tough shots and improves their accuracy, maybe you want to give them a sniper rifle. It, it uh, makes it so that, you know, the rolls can be a lot more fluid. And because of how the equipment system works, you know, you're free to do that completely. I mean, hell, I give all my guys C4 uh, to be able to breach the alien ship a lot easier. Granted, that also sometimes uh, leads to trouble where, um, you know, losing some funds possibly if there's, you know, I'm kind of giving the anim- uh, the aliens because there's the recover mechanic, you know, you shoot aliens, you recover corpses, and, oh, well, well, I guess we could sell the alien kidney on the black market or something. Woohoo! <laughs> Who wants kidneys? Mmm, kidneys. Uh, but yeah, that is Xenonauts. So far, really enjoyed it. Maybe I should do that on the uh, on the channel sometime. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. I guess I would go through my name list so quickly because yeah, eight uh, eight main squads at the very beginning, and there are a few mods for this game. I I've only really installed the mods that give more names and more portraits. You know, just cosmetic stuff because I want to you know get a feel for things. <laughs> Right. But yeah, that's the games I've been playing for the last couple of weeks. And I've only, you know, about doubled the time I thought I would be talking. Yep, yep, yep. We're going to have to do uh, do some hacking on the topics, but that's fine. We're a video games podcast, and I honestly, with all of the bad stuff in the news, it's nice to just talk about video games. Hey, look at it this way. Only one of my games involved loot boxes. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you know, it makes sense that, you know, one of them involved loot boxes since it's a free-to-play game. Very true. And it's all cosmetic anyway. None of my games involve loot boxes, even my one free-to-play game. But that's not the one I'm going to start with, because fuck good transitions. Uh, I'm going to talk about Soul Trader. Soul Soul Trader. Soul Trader. Soul is in S-O-L, solar system, not Soul, S-O-U-L. Soul Trader is a top-down 2D space sim where they you there's a bunch of different ways to start the game uh there's there's a story mode uh i just played it in free mode usually i start with the executable fair play but i i just played it in free mode and started like at the very earliest point you can as like an 18 year old um and it's got a really in-depth interesting sort of story generating mechanic so this is one of those you can do whatever you want games and family history and contacts and it's it's a game that acknowledges it's not what you know it's who you know and so you spend like the first 25 or 30 minutes of the game if you do free play and just start a new character and you go with a younger character as opposed to an older character who isn't established um and you pick your parents and you get a bunch of different choices for your parents and they have pros and cons, you know, being from different professions, different backgrounds and educations, different planets or, uh, moons in the solar system carry different stigmas and things like that. So, you know, there's a, a there's some benefits to being earthborn, for example, but there's also some negatives. Cause it's kind of that classic, like 
Earth has expanded and the colonies are at unrest, but Earth continues to hold on to them. So it's like, if you're born from Earth, you start with a lot better chance to have good contacts, to get a trading network or something going. But whenever you head to the outer colonies, pretty much anything past Mars, people are a little bit less trustworthy of you. They're like, oh, you're you're an Earthborn kid. Okay, well, if you're going to... Damn Earthlings. Prove get yourself. If you're going to prove yourself... You have to complete this mission for us or pass this loyalty check. The game has got a really pretty good in-depth conversation system that can be a bit overwhelming at times. Um, If you start out as a kid, which is what I did, you don't get a ship. You have to borrow a ship or rent a ship or or do work at like the port to earn enough money to get a ship. And I had like a... I, I chose my sort of background is like the son of a, a trading family. So I had a bunch of contacts and I went to the dock and nobody would rent me a ship because I'm like the youngest unproven member of the family. And they're like, well, if you could get one of your brothers or your sisters to sign on, we'd let you borrow this ship for a while. But I was like, I don't want to go through all this effort. So I found finally found someone and I had to go through like a really long conversation dialogue with them, convincing them to let me borrow the ship. And eventually I did. I, I got them to let me borrow the ship. It's just a really interesting way to do it that I've never seen before. Like, there is a a really in-depth, vibrant, changing economy that I don't quite know how much impact you have on or if it's just sort of on a timer and it runs in the background. But the prices of commodities change. There are pirates and things that rove around that can be triggered. There seems to be, like I said, conflict between the colony, the colonial governments, and earth's government um so there's all of this stuff going on and but it ultimately comes down to like who do you know who can you talk to and get um you know get the inside information on you know get a man on the inside or get that extra tip of information and i mean there's dozens of people at every starport that change out regularly you can have conversations like these with people in space so it's really interesting. Like I'm saying lots of really nice things about it. Yeah, I'm looking on, at the reviews and it's very mixed. So. I was going to say, I mean, I'm saying lots of nice things about it. But on the other hand, it's pretty outside of this really interesting in-depth character creation and approach to how it handles things. Like having the big focus on who you know and your, your contacts and your connections. It's a pretty standard one of these games that's got not the best controls. Um if it had, con- it, this feels like it would be much better suited to actually playing with a controller, because it feels like a poorly done twin stick when it comes to the combat and the space flight. Um, and then you can maybe just use the mouse to interact with the menus and things. Um, I don't really know how much more I want to play it. I played it for a couple hours this week, and I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting." And the conversation dialogue is pretty cool, and it seems like there's a neat backstory going on here. Your character ages, so I assume there's some sort of legacy mechanic where that if you want to continue on, you have to have Hook children. Up. Yeah, you have to have a kid. But I mean, I haven't gotten anywhere near enough, far enough into the game to discover if that's true or not. But yeah, it turns out that it becomes a different type of trading. Oh my! So I don't know if if you if you're the sort of person that likes these games just in general uh, and want one that's a little bit different soul trader definitely offers it with its sort of um, in-depth conversation system and 
connections building mechanic, I guess is the best way to say it. But outside of that, it's just a really standard top-down 2D space adventure type game. I mean, I've talked about a bunch of these. And basically, they're all the same except for their one twist. Or their one their one unique or different feature. And I mean, this falls into that, that category. Mostly the same with a neat feature that is something I haven't seen before. So, yeah. Pretty good. But, I don't know. So, mediocre it's game with an awesome character creator. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's twenty bucks. It's definitely not worth twenty bucks. Um, it's worth a couple of bucks for sure. If you really really like this type of game, it's probably worth about five bucks for you. Um, but I definitely would not buy it for twenty. I got it from Key Mailer, so I didn't pay anything for it. And that's the best price for anything. Uh, next on my list is Headliner. So Headliner is a really interesting but short game um, that I played through. Th- three times and I want to play through a couple more times just to see what how different the outcomes are for the game but what headliner is is that you are a newspaper editor like the head editor for a newspaper and so you get to choose what all of the big stories are that your paper's going to run every every day um and there's 7 days that pass and the decisions that you make for, or the headlines that you run, or the articles that you run in your paper affect different things that go throughout the game. So you're in a fictional country that is at, you know, just sort of near-ish future. It's not really specified. I so mean, in other words, paper please, you know, plus 20 years. Yeah, I at first I thought, I was like, oh, this must be made by the same developers who played Papers, or who made Papers, Please. It's not. Um, but it very much looks and feels like that. In, in a lot of ways. I mean, you have the articles laid out on your desk and you move stuff around and you've got stamps. Um, you've got a family at home, although you interact with your family more than in Papers, Please. Um, yeah, you're not just told, well, your son's dead now. Congratulations. Work harder. Yeah. I don't I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil too much. Um, but this is a near future setting and sort of the big thing that's going is genetic modification and then there's also a war going on. You've got those two main threads, and then there's a lot of of smaller things that you have to deal with. And based on the stories you put in your paper, there are some pretty big changes that can affect the game. Um, I've had three playthroughs with three fairly different outcomes. Um, the The way you hand because you interact with your family and have conversations with them, and then can perform small tasks for them. Throughout the so days of the game, nah. Well, you go pick up dinner, um, and you get dog food. Consisting of bear ass. Oh, yeah, that's definitely bear ass. Definitely bear asses. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I've managed to get the same family outcome twice, despite having two different outcomes based on my news stories and stuff. So I don't know how much those two connect with each other. I think that you can just get different results based on how you treat your family and then also how you run the newspaper. But I've always, like the first time I played it, I tried to be as fair and balanced as possible, like not really choosing one side over the other. And that did get some different dialogue from my family than other times when I was not quite like full left or full right, but I I pursued sort of a buzz a little bit more to get the ratings up so that I got like a promotion at work. And so that prompted some different dialogue from my family members. So 
it's it's really good. It's really interesting, and it certainly made me think a little bit outside the box about news media and organizations, um, which was was interesting. All the stories that you can read are well written. Uh, it doesn't really like you can choose to be male or female and be married to male or female. Like it doesn't even that doesn't matter. You can do whatever. I prefer the the female family like I prefer having a wife just because the character model is better for her than for the husband but I tried playing through as uh gay lesbian and straight just to see if there was any difference and it doesn't make an impact um you always have a daughter you can't change that but I mean that doesn't really matter well it's so. not well it is genetic modification so <laughs> that is true that's true um, I mean, the game's only three bucks. It's definitely worth three bucks. I've already played through it three times. And I, I want to play through it at least two more times and go hard right one time and hard left one time and just see what happens with the story. But otherwise, I don't want to say anything else in case someone wants to buy it just because I don't want to spoil the story. So I, I definitely think you should check. Everybody out there should check it out for like three bucks. And yeah, I tossed it on my wish list. I may pick it up over Christmas. Yeah. And I mean, if you're not sure, it'll go on sale, I'm sure, for like a dollar at some point. Or this is the type of game to wind up in a, a bundle, I'm sure. So. Yeah, some, something to pad out a bundle. Yeah. Even though I'm... I don't want to... This is probably going to sound mean of me, but I don't think this is the quality that Humble Bundle usually puts in as padding. If that makes any sense. You know, they usually go for bigger indie titles. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm not saying that this game sucks. I'm just saying that usually they go for something a little bit more meaty than uh, this for uh, their primary bundles, unless it's something absolutely massive. Then, you know, this would probably be in like the Jingle Jam next year or something. Yeah. But, yep, I would definitely recommend this game. It's a lot of fun. And interesting. Uh, So next is a game that I can't really say anything about without spoiling. Uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. So at the behest of Kyle, I played this game. Uh, and just so you know, Kyle, the first time I played through, or the first bit, I went for Yuri. You you guys were having conversations about that, you and Mal. So I went for Yuri, just so you know. Uh, as in a girl named Yuri or yeah, as a girl, girl named, love? A girl named Yuri. All right. Um, so Doki Doki Literature Club is a free-to-play visual novel dating sim with a twist. What a twist. With a with a with a twist. There's things that happen. I just So you and I had a conversation before about how I was going to talk about this mm-hmm. and basically you don't want it spoiled and there's not very much yeah, I can don't, say. Yeah, and also I think based on just the general consistency that I've heard uh, even talking about the story at all uh, kind of defeats the purpose. It really of, would. So more, yeah, talk about this uh, more go check really out this game. Right. Yeah, go check out this game. Do heed... I will say that it gives you a warning. It gives you two warnings, actually, when you start the game. Like, there is disturbing content and imagery in this game. Do not proceed if, you know, if you don't want to see it. Heed that warning. That's not bullshit. That's a really... That's, that's a legit warning. There is some stuff that happens in this game that is disturbing and some disturbing imagery is definitely shown. So, so shit goes down, yo. Yeah. I, I will say that just in case you're like, Oh, they just put those warnings on there because of whatever. No, they mean it. 
they really mean it. So other than that, this, if you like visual novels, if you like dating Sims, if you like things that make you think, um, play well, I think game. I like things it's that free. make me think. It's, it's free. There's no reason to not play this game. I know it looks cutesy. Just th- play th- it. This falls into the school live area. Yes, it does. That's the best thing I could come up with. It, if you've seen School Live, think like the first episode of how wonky it gets. Yeah, and if you haven't seen uh, the anime School Live, or School Live, depending on your uh, you know, how you pronounce the second word, don't read anything about it. Just go on the internet, hunt down the first episode, either you know, legitimate or not. Watch the first episode, beginning, two credits. Do not read anything about the show. Do not even read the fucking synopsis because that ruins it. Watch the show from beginning to end. Pay attention and don't stop. Yep. Also, don't look at anything about Doki Doki Literature Club. Just don't. It will ruin the whole thing. You have to have as much surprise as possible. Going yeah, and even it. just the hype around it is probably uh, diminishing it. It's probably yeah. the same like uh, Undertale. Yeah. It's so difficult, though. Like, I want to recommend it, and I have to give a couple caveats, because I don't want people to wind up... Well, what's the second warning? You you said two warnings, and you have to heed oh. them. Oh, no, it gives you, like, the two warnings right up front. Like, whenever well, you... Well, well, no, 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 you only mentioned graphic imagery. Oh, it's it gives you that warning twice. Ah, oh, all right. It's like, hey, dude, we're not fucking around here. Yeah, like it gives you that warning and then it pops up again and it's like seriously, there's some some stuff that goes on. Yeah, we're we're totally going to get taken off steam. I hope not. I hope not. And if only that was a segue to a new topic, but I still have one more game to talk about. Uh the See, only you should other... have uh, uh more intelligently uh, sorted out your games. Yeah, it's fine. The uh the only other game that I played this week that I can talk about because KSP is Game Club game, um, and you guys don't want to hear me prattle on about Factorio anymore, is Elite Dangerous. So I haven't played Elite Dangerous in about two years. Uh, I played it, I purchased it and played it when it first launched in 2015, early 2015. It might have been late 2014 when it came out of beta, but whatever, around that time. Um, And I played it, and I got pretty much through as much of the content that existed back then that I could. It was basically, I was to the point where I was like, I can just keep grinding for money to get bigger ships, or I can explore a few other aspects of the game that I haven't really done. Because I originally focused mostly on combat and trading and mining. And then I sat out on this really long exploration journey and then just kind of stopped playing. And I hadn't played it for for two years, and there's been quite a bit of content that's came out since then. Um, They have the Horizons, what do they call it? The Horizons Season Pass? Or the Horizons... Horizon Zero Dawn, and does it get any awards? It's (laughs) it's, uh, It's four massive updates that added tons of content to the game. It added a, a politics system... Um, it's called power play. So a lot of the leaders from the galaxy that you had heard about from before and that were in the news article or like the news in game called Galnet. Um, it now actually made that meaningful. 
and there's a constant sort of um, galaxy war going on between all these factions. It's not necessarily like open war all the time, but uh, so it's it's not total war. It's no, it's not total war, but it's for faction power basically. And sometimes war does break out, but a lot of times it has to do with trade and intel and stuff like that. It's a pretty interesting in-depth system that I'm only really starting to scratch the surface on. Because I was chatting with you the other night when I finally had done basically enough of the bitch missions to earn a rank and start getting some better stuff into it. Um, another one of the updates that they added, uh, added planet landing and exploration. So originally you could only just fly around in space. And when you got close enough to a planet, it would drop you out of your warp. And if you kept trying to go forward, eventually you would just stop. And it wouldn't let you go any closer to a planet. But now you can fly down and explore... Most planets, like you can't fly down to a gas giant or something like that, but pretty much any planet At least that's, that attitude. Pretty much any planet that's got a solid surface you can fly down to. Or should I say you, altitude? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> that's that was nice. Um but anyways, you can fly down to these planets and explore them and you have basically a space four wheeler. It's called an SRV, which stands for surface reconnaissance vehicle, but So Mako. It's just a fancy yeah, it's like a small version of the Mako, and it's got uh, a gun on top and some kind of scanner module, and it's got boosters so that you can um, basically hop a little bit if you get stuck or something. And it added a whole set of planetary missions and colony settlements and things like that that you can explore. Um, new resources to gather. I'm not 100% sure where the new resources came in, but there are now resources you can collect for more than just trade purposes, they can be used to upgrade your ship or craft um, equipment and modules for yourself that you can use or things like ammo and fuel in case you get stuck or something. If you've got crafting materials, you can basically make some gas out there in space. Keep yourself going. <laughs> um, you can get bonuses from them too. Uh, then there was an update added that uh, um, put in engineers, which are special characters that can give you they, they send you on special missions and you can upgrade your ships beyond like even more. So you can completely customize your ships. Well, not completely customized. You know, there are certain classes of weapons and things like that. And certain ships can't mount certain weapons or whatever, but within whatever your ship can use, you can completely customize it to how you want to weapons, different or better shielding engines, cargo spaces, etc., etc. So the engineers allow you to further customize your vehicles and basically just allow you to to put more powerful modules on them, essentially, so that you can get higher bonuses than what you could from just even going with top-level equipment. And then there was one more update. I think it's the newest update, which I am definitely not participating in. Um, The original Elite Dangerous... I mean, this is just a continuation of that series. It's not a special... It's not a spiritual successor. It's just the next game in the line of the Elite franchise. But the the Elite that came out in the 80s and 90s had this alien race in it called the Thargoids. Gesundheit. Um, and they had been saying for a long time that... Well, initially they were like, yeah, we don't know if the Thargoids are going to be here or not. Remember, you killed them in one of the previous games. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, wait, and, no. And... Uh, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, right. And then someone found their planet at some point. And then there started being, like, with the, the planet landing, and they were, like, mysterious signals you could find. And the most recent update that's just came out in the last month, the Thargoids are, are back. 
and apparently are, and they're pissed are killing people left and right so that's uh i'm avoiding that for now i'm way behind the curve like when i quit playing i had not the best gear but you know i was in the top tier of everything but they've added quite a few new ships and new new weapons and with the new customization options and upgrades it's just like well i'm i'm behind again well so. jared if your thargoids are uh yeah flaring up there's an ointment for that <laughs> i'll have to go back to the doctor um yeah but your but insurance they, isn't going to pay for that probably not they've added other stuff too you can now have fighters that certain ships can mount hangar bays for fighter craft um that's really interesting you can have crew now you can have player i think you can have player crew in your ship so you can have multi-crew ships and you know someone's flying the the main ship and someone hops in the fighter and goes and does stuff and if you're on a planet somebody can hop into the srv i think but i've only played with ghost shark since we've got back since i got back into it and we basically like he showed me how the the srvs worked and the planet exploring Mm -hmm. and then we blew up pirates for a while yeah, I have so a feeling if I had any interest in playing this, I would be so far behind the curve. It would be just a slog. Well, the whole game is a pretty big slog anyways. I mean, this yeah, is basically... It's, it's, uh, you're a truck sim in space. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a... you know, It's arcadian. It's fairly arcadian style. Like, it walks the line between simulator and arcade. Um, but in terms of, like, what you can do, it's not like... You know, it's just a big sandbox. Um, and a lot of the stuff that they've added has made it easier to find, I guess, meaning or things to do besides just tool around and grind for the next ship. Because when I started playing, that's all there was. Just grind for the next ship. Explore the cool thing, grind for the next ship. But now with power play and the Thargoids and continuing mission alliance, which feels sort of like quests... Um, and having like regional stuff, like personalities that are governing, you know, the different areas of space and stuff. I, it's it's made it a lot more. You know, I mean, you've got to buy into it. You've got to be into this sort of thing, which I am. I mean, I'm the biggest, I think, sci-fi person around in this show. I don't well, know. There's a couple. Well, maybe of you should go on a diet. <laughs> there's there's a few of our friends that I'm sure give us a run for my for my money. Give me a run for my money, but you know, I mean, I buy into it, so I really like it. Uh, by the way, I play for Federation, the, the Federation out there, anyone who cares. Um, if you're on the Empire, fuck you. And if you're in the Alliance, we're cool, bro. Just don't come into my territory anymore. All right? So, Just had to get that out of the way. Picard, Cisco. You're not Janeway, <laughs> are you? <laughs> I did like Janeway. I think I was the only one who did. Well, to be um, fair, there are several uh, yeah, uh, versions of our personality that you could choose from. That's true. That's true. But anyways, I, I mean, the game is gorgeous. I wouldn't touch it if you didn't have at least a joystick um, or a flight stick. I wish I had a HOTAS, uh, but I don't. So I kind of use the keyboard. Yeah, for my Katie model. would be really pissed with you then. I think if, depending on how Christmas goes and the new year and how things play out with my clinic setup, I think HOTAS is going to be up there because the thing is is that my life has changed so much since i played this last time i like having a game that's a concept that i can go to now to play and it you know i've had various games for that at various points in my life but this year really i have just found comfort in playing a game 
for long periods of time. So I think Elite might be that. I'm I've got a head start on all the content, the new content because I played before. Um, I had I think more money and ships than Ghost Shark, despite the fact that he's played more and more recently than me. Um, so you know I've got a jump start on all that content. So basically I'm just getting into the new systems and learning them. And there's quite a bit to learn. I mean there's a lot of little stuff that I haven't even mentioned. Like there's um, you can do transport missions for people now um and there's different types of those like sightseeing you can basically be like a party barge and just go to places for rich people (laughs) or you can transport like refugees or soldiers or stuff like that um they've added a a couple of different ship classes um, much larger ships that like frigates and corvettes um that you can get which have obviously a lot more power it can do lots of different things, but they require a lot of faction rank to get them. Uh, I think you have to be a rear admiral to get the federal Corvette. And we know how you are with it being a rear admiral. Yeah, I'm just an ensign right now. I got a long way to go. I can get the federal gunship, which I think I'm going to do. I don't know how much money it costs. I haven't went down to the station where it is to look for it. But um, I just had a thought. Uh, this game uh, with the steel battalion controller. That would be really good, actually. That would be fun. I mean, that's kind of like what a HOTAS would be. Do you you know what a HOTAS is, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, essentially throttle, isn't it? Yeah, it's hands-on throttle and stick. You've got a, uh, a flight stick and a throttle, and usually both of them have a lot of buttons on them. So, I want, I want one of those. But uh, anyways, you know, there's a completely new mission system. There's a bunch of new mission types. The mining system is much improved from what it was when I played before. Um, yeah, basically, this is going to be your Warframe. I think so. I think this is going to be my Warframe. Um, I also, I like how they do their uh, DLC microtransactions, whatever you want to call them. There's no loot boxes. Everything is 100% cosmetic. Uh, ship skins and little funny stuff like you can get bobbleheads for your dashboard and it's christmas so you can buy christmas lights if you want to put on your ships and exactly like like warframe then yeah it's exactly like warframe there's also now commander customizations because why not i mean you're never out of a seat like you're never out of the pilot seat of something but you can completely customize your character with clothes and glasses and baubles my guy has pink hair I was and about to say, well, are you going to have a pink mohawk? I have, I have pink hair uh, with a black beard, a pink mustache, and dark red lipstick. It's my guy. His portrait looks... Like, when you look at him, he actually looks really bad, but you never see him. You only see the portrait. So the pose that he strikes in the portrait makes him look like a, a sassy rebel. It's, it's great. I like it. But... Yeah, Elite Dangerous is a a lot of fun. It's gorgeous. It runs really well. Uh, I haven't mentioned, I don't think, that I've got my 144 hertz hertz monitor now. And playing Elite Dangerous at 144 hertz versus playing it at 60 hertz is like two different games. Honestly, playing just about anything at 144 or 120 hertz is like playing a different game compared to 60 hertz. So you're saying once you go back to 60, it hurts? Haha. Ha. Yes, it does. It's weird. Even like... Uh, now, now, here's the real question. 
going back to play a console game. Uh, ooh, that's interesting. Because when I <laughs> when I played Halo Five, I hadn't gotten my monitor yet. So, oh, I should do that before my Xbox whatever subscription that I paid a dollar for runs out. I I think it runs out on the fourteenth. Well, uh, there's your assignment for next week. But even like browsing web pages and stuff, just like scrolling or moving my mouse around at 144 hertz is crazy compared to like whenever I get my laptop because it's only got a 60 hertz display. And it's like, whoa, I used to think that this was awesome. Listen to me being all smug about my 144 hertz monitor. Easy there, TB. Um, A lot of games I find a compromise on because, you know, to get, I've got a pretty, pretty good rig. But it was built around 1080p 60 gaming. So I have to turn down graphics settings to get higher than 60 or 70 FPS for most games, which I'm fine with. But you know, there is a good balance to be struck. But some games, like I mean, Elite Dangerous is either super well optimized or something because it runs at ultra settings at 1080 Probably not really heavy on the CPU. Because that's usually the bottleneck, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it it does between 100 and 144. There's certain instances I get into, I'll see that my FPS counter dropped like 100, and then it'll pop right back up to 144. It's usually during a transition, like coming out of warp or something. But, yep. Uh, I I could do 120, but I'm never going to be able to, to have a monitor that's less than 120 hertz for the rest of my life it's crazy how much of a difference it makes well like i mean i'm not, uh, I'm not... Well, i guess you could just throw away your consoles now because they typically uh, target 30 fps and try to make the games all shiny yeah or unless it's PUBG, then yeah they try for 30 and get more like 15 yeah <laughs> which i don't think that was on our top our new stock it was it no you mentioned it to no me. it's not i, I just I, I found it hilarious as i was going through the news uh, about yeah, you know, it's not running well on consoles. It doesn't w- run well on PC. Yeah, unless you either have a beast of a machine or you have the magic setup, or you know all of the the stars align and the gods of frame rate smile down upon you. And you made a small animal sacrifice. Yeah, you, know, you have to kill the chicken before you can try it for the chicken dinner. <laughs> but um. All right. Well, that's all the games that I played this week. And since we've been doing this at this point for nearly two hours, you know, since we started recording, I need to take a break. All right. After a short break and a... Definitely good Franken content bit to cut out. We will move on to our first news topic. In this case, pair of news topics from the day, but we've combined them into one topic. Valve removes adult games from Steam. There were two games with more adult themes, shall we say, that Steam... One of them was removed, and the other one said they weren't going to put it on, right? I believe both of them were removed, actually. I'd have to go double-check that, actually. Because, yeah, there, there's some uh, scuttlebutt going on with the second one. I haven't been able to find confirmation on anything, and it's sort of late-breaking. Yeah, you, you uh, found it, it said, just before yeah, we started. Yeah, it, so. uh, it said it was banned from Steam, so I'm, uh, I imagine that it w- 
wasn't uh, on yet, but yeah. Uh, it's an odd thing going on with Steam, just in general, where they seem to be really cracking down on more adult-oriented gaming. Especially mm-hmm. on the indie side of things, and a, a doubly especially on the visual novel side of things. Granted, not sure if uh, this one... Uh, well, let's give the names of the games. It is The Key to Enter Your Home. Uh, the Key to Your Home. The, the, the key, yeah, The, the key, key to Home. Which... Uh, has a also a Japanese subtitle to it. At least I'm assuming that's Japanese with the kanji there. And the other one is you must be 18 or older to enter. So, you know, we pretty much already see where it's going with the second one. But the first one is was was removed from Steam because Steam thinks that its primary audience is a bunch of pedophiles. <laughs> At least yeah. according to the developer. <clears throat> yeah. So this first game... Yeah, let's go with the first uh, one first. Uh, key to enter your home. And I, I typed that Japanese, whatever it's called, yeah. into Google the key, Translate. Uh, the key to home. And it says no key. Is for that. Okay. So the key to home, no... I don't know. doesn't really matter. Uh, that game, the key to home. Uh, the cached version of the Steam page, the description for this game is this person's name, Hiroshi Kurianaga. Is a boorish failure of an elementary school teacher. He's being blackmailed by a student, Rika Sakuma, a girl with demonic intelligence, into a wild scheme to rob the school of hidden fortune worth ten, tens of millions of yen. Lies, cheating, and betrayal, students and teachers struggle against one another for dominance in a suspenseful thriller. Who will come out on top to claim the school's hidden fortune? This is a visual mystery novel for all gentlemen and gentlewomen who love little girls. And I think it's that little girl <clears throat> part that really kind of set off some red flags. That and some of the, uh, I guess, there is, the, uh, the angles on some of this art. Yeah, yeah rather low cut, very showing off of little girls. Yeah, the the image for this, I mean, it's some kind of like necklace thing that this girl has in her mouth, but the way it's framed makes it look like She's sucking on a penis or something. And if you're, you know, very clearly an adult, no problem. But, I mean, these are little girls. Like, the girl in the picture, according to this, is nine. Yeah. So, she's a fourth grade girl that they've got possibly suggestively, you know, showing her doing something a little seductive looking. And are these devs are Japanese, right? I, I believe so. So, I'll be just going off the name, and also this was cached on, I believe, the Japanese version of Steam. So, just uh, looking at uh, the uh, page itself, it has a lot of uh, Japanese text on it, uh, even right. more so than you would uh, expect with the you know, subtitle and everything. Right, and in in Japanese culture, maybe what they're doing is not risque, but in this instance, I totally see why Steam would be like. Now, we're not going to put this on there because we're going to be liable for this. And it could be innocent, and these could just be a bunch of sassy, you know, fourth and fifth graders. I've known a few sassy fourth and fifth graders. I've worked with a few of them in counseling. But you have to be careful how you depict children in any medium. And if Steam, I mean, I'm getting some some weird vibes off of this just because yeah, of what I've Yeah, and that says something. <laughs> with... You know, like, I've got no context on this stuff, and it's throwing off some weird vibes. And 
Um, yeah, and there's you know, yeah, and there's also the uh, stigma just in general with visual novels already. Yeah, a, a certain segment of gamers view visual novels themselves as porn games. Granted, you know, there are more than a few porn games that are visual novels, but that doesn't mean all visual novels are porn games. Yeah, there's plenty of visual novels that don't have any nudity or suggestive or provocative content at all. And then there's lots of them that have it, but it's just in there. It's not the yeah. focus of the game. So. I, I mean, we played one on Game Club. Yeah. And I've played many outside of Game Club. But, uh, so yeah, Steam pulled this game, and the developers posted, what was it, on the Steam community forums? Yeah. About it. And yeah, this is one of the developers. what happened. Yeah, which, I, I it's a really strange thing that Valve is policing such hardcore on this without even talking to the developers because it seems like they uh, hit them completely out of nowhere. At least that's uh, yeah the vibe I'm getting from this, really. Yeah, it seemed like Valve contacted them or, or they say that Valve contacted them Same. and asked for context on the game, basically. Yeah. And they provided that context, and Valve decided to remove the game from their... So, I mean, I I don't... Number one, Valve has the right to remove any game from their service for any reason whatsoever. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we have to support them in it, right? Right, that is true. And as much as that, you know, sucks a lot of times, I do wish that Valve did more curation. And this is one game where I'm going, well... Maybe, maybe I would want not, to see more on totally what's going on see... because the, the store page doesn't it's very mysterious on what this game is by design because this is a mystery game. Which... But I totally see why Steam would want to remove this or why Valve would want to remove this. And as someone who works in an industry where liability is a huge deal, I get that. And I'm not going to say anything bad about this unless we find out later. That, like, there was literally nothing wrong with this game. Just some weird imagery that probably is fine in Japan and just is less accepted by Western culture. But, well, I mean, I, based I doubt on, Valve will say anything about yeah, it. Yeah, based on this, on uh, the message, which, granted, this is coming from a developer, so, you know, the, he could be, you know, lying or, you know, just uh, trying to spin the image back in his way. He's talking about how this has already been approved in Japanese uh, markets as an all-ages title, and it goes against the message that was being uh, in the game in the first place. That the provocative art is there as kind of getting attention, but it's not the message of the game, and that there's no sexual acts at all in the game. So... I think this may be a case of Valve wanting to protect themselves and possibly getting rid of a game without really playing it or figuring out what's going on. And granted, I understand that there's countless games on Steam and hundreds a week now because Steam Direct has just squirted diarrhea all over the Steam store. Uh, There's an image for you, right? Um, uh, and, and not and not okay without that image. Yeah, but not incorrect. But there is no way that uh, Valve could, uh, yeah, test every game, and 
figure out what is appropriate or not and have to go off of reports. But this is also something that I think they should have sent a, uh, well, if not a demo, yo, send more context, not just have one back and forth and that's it. If that's what this is, it, it feels weird to, uh, yeah, with how this game is portrayed though. And I think that may be just coming off of a Japanese developer not understanding Western culture. Yeah. I'd love to see Valve take some other games off of Steam, though. Well, what about the... <laughs> the, the there's there's at least two-player Nuts Battlegrounds VR games, uh, or VR rip-off games, uh, coming out in the next week. And there's been, like, a dozen different uh, versions of it already. And I'm not just talking, you know, Battle Royale in general. I'm talking about literally the logo only slightly tweaked or, you know, the same font used different or player unknown written slightly differently. Known players, unknown battleground. Yeah. So, yeah, they won't police that uh, and make the store look like it's the fucking Google Play Store with all the ripoffs. But they won't have a dialogue here to figure out what's going on. Assuming, once again, I am signing a little bit more on the developer because I don't know the context here. And I've never played this game. So it's tough for me to really say you know, that, yes, this is definitely a pedophile game. And there's uh, this knee-jerk reaction that's been on the internet just in general. Uh, especially with uh, YouTube uh, causing an adpocalypse. Because there's been some suggestive things with children and all the advertisers have been pulling out of uh, different ads and YouTube has been uh, trying to go crazy on that front. Maybe Valve is looking at that and thinking, oh shit, we need to act now. Yeah, maybe. I- I'm siding more with Valve on this one, actually. And like I said, it's... I, I you just know, wish I'd I knew more context of what's going on exactly. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had more context as well. But I, I'm just approaching it strictly from a liability aspect. Yeah. Yeah, see, just I'm, from yeah, I'm working, working at in a field that... the aspect. I yeah. don't have uh, that background. But basically both of us want more context, and I don't know if we'll get it. The developer might say some more stuff, but I imagine this... they hear something from Valve, too. Yeah, I imagine this is going to be released on another platform, if it hasn't already. And this is just, yeah, uh, trying to get on a bigger platform, because... Valve is, or Steam is still you know, the major player. But I would say it's either, well, it's that last line in the uh, synopsis and a couple of these lower uh, key shots, you know. Uh, hers looks like stomping on something and uh, the upskirt shot. Even though, you know, it's blacked out. You know, it's the shadow. But the big image where you get to get panty shot yeah. uh, on, uh, uh, well, I went to the Japanese uh uh, store that uh, he linked to, to see more images. So yeah, it's I definitely understand where this is coming from. I think this could have been localized a little bit better. It's just it's such a strange thing. Uh, and then uh, mixed on that this other game that's uh, been pulled or been banned. Uh, uh, you must be eighteen or older to enter, which is a sort of parody of uh, well. A parody slash uh, throwback of looking at porn in the 90s trying to sneak on the family computer. 
and using that as a uh, visual novel kind of joke thing, it seems. Yeah. And supposedly it got uh, thrown off. Well, well, we don't know exactly why it got thrown off, but supposedly there's an erect penis in it. Oh, no. Oh, no. An ASCII porn. Yeah, I mean, it's all ASCII. I mean, it's not even uh, real pictures. It's dots. It's the best dots. High quality dots. It's such a, a strange thing to... <laughs> Uh, to be policing this, you know? Yeah. yeah. This, this you must be 18 or older to enter, looks really silly. Yeah, it looks silly. It, um, uh, it, I, I could understand Valve being worried about a family-friendly image. And this probably comes back to the whole liability thing once again. Because, yeah, if, if a, a child gets a hold of this, oh no. They basically get penis. I'm looking for something more than just the trailer that's in the the Tech Raptor article. Uh, well, if you go to the Rock Paper Shotgun, it shows a couple images, and yeah, it doesn't show a lot. But yeah, Honey Pop is a hell of a lot more explicit. Yeah, it is. Okay, so I'm on there. It's IO page. Okay, so it looks like it's this weird like horror jump scare game but instead of a monster it's like your mom yeah coming up behind you it's in. like what are you uh uh doing uh it... none of these images are very pornographic that's very clearly like people wearing underwear and bras people kissing well i just uh jumped to uh go to like 350 on the tri- on the gameplay you could uh, see probably the most explicit stuff. I think that's supposed to be the penis three three fifty. Yeah, three fifty ish. There's a. Uh, it's tough to really make out. I think that's a dude masturbating. Well, I think. well, you just uh, got sold in the game, right? But it's hard to tell. I mean, if someone wants to get off to this, the, yeah, they are putting in a lot more effort. I think that's supposed to be doggy style. It's it's really hard to tell. Yeah, because it's all ASCII stuff, or not quite ASCII, but you know, it has it's made of uh, dots, and it's uh, made to be a low resolution uh, sort of image uh, in black and white. Yeah. So, I, I would almost call it sort of a monochrome pixel art, in a way. Because it's all built around uh, essentially punctuation periods and uh, that, that sort of thing. Uh, just with you know, different scales of gray. Yeah. I'm trying to see if I can figure out what happens like if you get caught by your mom. You get grounded. I have no idea if that's true or not. It's just... Uh, I understand probably why Vav wants this off since they have such a hard stance on uh, pornographic games. I mean, how they've uh, made it uh, really tough for uh, developers to have decenter patches now. But at the same time, yeah, it's... They're, they're policing this, but they uh, are perfectly alright with violence. It's just such a strange thing. And just in general, really. I'm not talking about just this one game, but 
just the way nudity is treated in video games. The way sex is treated in video games. Yeah. And we're going to be talking <clears throat> more about uh, yeah, more adult themes later in another uh, uh, segment. And how that's viewed in video games. It's just, there's this disconnect with how video games portray something, but it, they still treat it as a toy, but then tell gamers to grow up as a medium. It's such a weird disconnect. Yeah. Still looking. I'm on YouTube now trying to see if I can find what happens if you're, you're looking caught. for the penis. Let's be perfectly honest. I already saw the penis. I mean, I could think of games that are a hell of a lot more explicit on uh, than this. Hell, Rust is a lot more explicit than this. Conan uh, Exiles is a hell of a lot more explicit than this. The only thing that's different... No, no, no. I just had a thought. If they ban this, what's going to happen to Gary's mod? There's a lot of stuff in game. Oh, it's just a text crawl on the right side of the screen. You jump in your seat. Oh, crud. You have to do something. What's this? Somebody's going to hear it. Your heart is pounding. And then, like, the options start flashing in colors. And if you pick one, it's like, ooh, that was a close call. And <laughs> if you don't pick one, you get caught. And that's it. All right. Basically, cool. the, yeah, this is a big hubbub over really nothing, but it's more discussing Valve, well, being thrown in with the other game also, but uh, Valve policing some things, but then, yeah, just letting other things just go absolutely crazy. Yeah. But this is also what you get when you open up the doors. Uh, such a weird thing, isn't it? Yep. Uh, are we I'm, done here? I'm or? Not, yeah, I'm not. I'm. You're, I'm done. I was just like finishing, like scrolling through a couple I, I, more YouTube I'm videos. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just ta- uh, taking this all out of context and putting it in a different context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm done. No, I don't. I don't. Yep, I'm done. All right. Next on our topic list, then. <laughs> Loot boxes, legislation, and video game business models. So we've got another mashup of a few things. Yeah. A few, uh, few yeah, topics. Mostly, uh, I would say, uh, surrounding the beginnings of legislation in the U.S. around loot boxes. And also an interesting article from the U.K. talking about loot boxes uh, or uh, in-game gambling just in general with uh, kids. Uh, Should we start with that one? How they're finding 10% of children are using this now. Or gambling on in-game items is uh, the uh, title. It's a very scary number when you think about it. 10%. Yep, ten percent of kids between uh uh is this uh ages yeah between ages uh, eleven to sixteen mm-hmm. with a forty five percent of eleven to sixteen year olds being aware of skim betting and knowledge of gambling practice uh, skewed more in the male ju- uh, direction with fifty nine percent of boys being familiar with it compared to thirty one percent of girls. Grant, this doesn't say. They're participating, but just being aware of it. Yeah, well, below that it says 11% acknowledge that they play have played gambling-themed games on their smartphone or tablet. Ah. Which would be, I assume, just more, like, traditional... Loot box. Quotes, traditional gambling stuff, like slots or 
that Texas Hold'em or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think as this entire thing unfolds and EA's Pandora's box just spews out more stuff and the government starts taking a close, well, governments in general, I guess I should say, are taking a closer look at this. I think they're going to realize just how crazy things have gotten with both loot boxes and just all the uh, microtransaction uh, gambling themes in general. But loot boxes, I'd say, is probably the forefront of this, really. Where things are absolutely insane. And, well, you've talked about how the kids you've uh, counseled in the past have, uh, you know, dropped tons of money and, you know, really thought nothing of it. Yeah, kids would spend their entire allowance every week on loot boxes and Call of Duty and just wait for the next week and spend more money on it. Probably, I mean, I had I had one, they, they were two brothers that I was working with and they both liked to play Call of Duty and other games. They spent, both of them spent all of their allowance, which was like 25 bucks a week for both kids. So these kids were spending $50 a week on loot boxes in Call of Duty. And I was, I worked with them for nine weeks, um, just changes and caseload and stuff. They were transferred to someone else. So in that nine weeks, that's $450 that these two kids spent on. Damn. Just think what you would be able to do on, uh, well, not even just Steam, but uh, hell, just used games in general uh, in like GameStop or or something. 50 uh, bucks a week between the two brothers. Yep. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of games. And that's not even counting, you know, uh, going, uh, you know, smarter playing, you know, going with Steam, going with sales, that sort of thing. But they're just uh, caught up in Call of Duty and uh, in the loot box scheme. And they have that addiction almost. Yeah. I remember being a kid buying video games and I would get, they have an allowance, cause, but I would spend probably... 50 or 60 bucks a month on video games and I would go to GameStop and I would buy used games and stuff like that and I had Gamefly for a while I mean you know I was getting three four five games a month especially when I was really big on getting my gamer score up on Xbox Live I was going through tons of games but you know I was getting games for that kind of money instead of just packs of shit Hell, I, I, well, right now my wallet in Steam has about 30 bucks in it. With the Christmas sale coming up, I could probably get a dozen games with that of either decent or really good quality. Or, you know, I could just spend it on loot boxes. It just, it blows my mind to uh, yeah, spend it all on essentially cosmetic stuff. Yeah. And... You mentioned addiction a minute ago, and I, yeah. addiction possibly, but I think normalization is the more appropriate term for a lot of these kids, just because they're at a, at one of the most impressionable periods of their lives, um, and it just is normal for them to spend that kind of money on this sort of thing, and so I, some of them, I'm sure, have the, the pretense to actually become gambling addicts, but... I mean, normalizing behavior and creating long-lasting habits in people is like, you know, I mean, that's a, a company's wet dream. You know, get them while they're young, get them spending this much money every week, and they'll keep doing it into adulthood. And when they have more money, they'll probably spend more money. 
Uh, sorry, just had a uh, flashback to George Carlin and uh, Dogma. <laughs> uh, get them while you're young. Oh, only if we had the tobacco company's uh, numbers. <laughs> oh. But, you know, I mean, that's... That's exactly that's what it is. happening. Whether, whether or not they've done it, like, done that on purpose... That's what's happening, and that's where we're headed. Yeah, which frightens me, and I don't, as much as I've called for government intervention, that's always been, you know, the final resort after all the industry safeguards have failed. Yeah. I mean, uh, it shouldn't have gone to this point. The ERSRB, even though I realize it is an industry body, and it looks out for the industry, not the consumer. I mean, that was the original purpose of the ESRB, was uh, the industry protection first. It should have uh, stepped in long ago. Yep. But it didn't. And then it should have stepped in recently. So now we've hit the point where that, that people are saying, you know, we... It's really bad when you're going, I want you, government, to get involved because everyone who's supposed to be doing something is sitting on their hands... And we see this being a problem. I mean, Please this is going to be a major problem it. in coming years if it if it doesn't change. I mean, yeah. I mean, all of EA's major titles this fall, and 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 I'm coming with the UFC thing going on, uh, has had a major focus on loot boxes. I mean, Battlefront had it, Need for Speed had it, to the point where it was a fucking slot machine. And if you wanted to avoid the uh, slot machine, well, one of uh, the reviewers I really trust on YouTube was uh, talking about how he had to sit around in the parking lot of the shops and wait for the shops to cycle their goods every 10 minutes to slowly build up his car because... That's the only way that the cars are built up is by incremental upgrades on the car or you just spin the wheel of the slot machine. And when a major focus of the review is on that, well, that's not exactly need for speed. That's need for parking. And then the whole thing with the UFC and that beta where literally every single move from the biggest combos in the game to the normal punches have a tiered essentially star card for you know, since, since Battlefront is the big thing uh, about this uh, star cards to level up where if a guy gets lucky on a draw and his basic punch is higher level he hits harder than you I created this is in sports games and sports games have already normalized this which is really scary when it's yeah spilling over into more core games i guess would be the proper term for it yeah because it's already been normalized in uh uh fifa and you know the fifa players are starting to see that it's not the normal thing in gaming as a general uh, 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 gaming in general and there's this sort of natural division between sports games and I hate using the term normal games or core games because it kind of, you know, makes it sports games seem less important. 
but it's a more isolated culture between the two. Yeah. And that barriers with uh, Battlefront 2 has kind of come down because Battlefront 2 is pretty much the same idea as Viva Ultimate Team, where you you have this loot box system to generate your progression. And that's the same thing uh, from everything I'm told, because I'm not a soccer guy. I'm sorry. Football. Football. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a soccer guy, so I don't follow FIFA. I never played a FIFA game. So, yo, this is all anecdotal stuff. Yeah, all uh, secondhand knowledge. I have. I've played FIFA. Katie, that's one of the only video games that Katie likes because she played soccer in high school and college. So, but <laughs> because she's bad at video games, I win every every match. And I bet she loves that. Nope, she doesn't. I was being sarcastic. She's like, why do you always win? I play soccer. I was like, yes, but I play video games. This is not soccer. This is video games. Now get uh, soccer for the connect. Yeah, I mean, if we went out in the yard and tried to play soccer, even though she hasn't played in a number of years, she'd still kick my ass. Wow, you're having a heart attack on the sidelines? Yeah. Call ambulance. (laughs) Is it halftime yet? Oh, but yeah, there's just been this normalization in the sports uh, area, and it's yeah, uh, Battlefront is you know, uh, well, I called it the Pandora's box, and that's really what it is. It's Pandora's loot box. Hey, <laughs> oh, it's just such a scary thing, and it keeps on uh, giving and giving and giving to the point where U.S. lawmakers are wanting to restrict games that have these gambling uh, mechanics in them, uh, the loot boxes and uh, some other mechanics, because, yeah, this is going to spill over beyond just loot boxes, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'd say microtransactions will come under scrutiny as well. DLC and expansions will probably get out. Yeah, yeah, I think expansions are perfectly fine. DLC in general, uh, it's really, it's going to depend on what happens with it. But uh, lawmakers want to t- uh, put a hard cap like it's tobacco or uh, ga- or gambling in just in general and put it, if you're under 21, you cannot buy this. Yep. And that's going to scare off a lot of big publishers from this system if that goes into yep. place. Because, I mean, a huge, the I don't know what the biggest gaming population is because you see different studies going around saying, oh, it's middle-aged, whatever, and oh, it's older people, and oh, it's younger people. I think it really depends on both game and genre. I agree, but regardless, kids and teenagers, you know, people under 21 are still a huge chunk of the market. So... And, well, they're also sort of the captive audience because children crave uh, repetition. They have this rut that they go into and they'll play the same game over and over and over and over and over again. And if they're able to monetize that repetition through loot boxes and microtransactions and DLC, you know, that's extra muddy in the pocket. And we've heard the time, uh, the, uh, the term time and time again, money on the table. They view people sticking with the game but not buying DLC as leaving money on the table. So they want to try to make it 
as enticing, or, yeah, enticing as possible. So I completely understand why they're trying to push, yeah, this yeah loot box system into progression because if it's purely cosmetic, someone like me who yeah maybe will get a cosmetic thing once in a while will be oh, well I got I got the shiny hat that I like and I'm good I don't need that anymore yeah. I, I'll just do my normal progression yeah. I also don't usually care for cosmetics. If I get something, I'm like, oh, that's nice. But I usually don't want to spend money on cosmetics. Yeah, but that's kind of uh, how I liked Battle Right, is that they give you a lot of cosmetics really quickly, actually. Uh, you know, poses, uh, mounts, that sort of thing. But you also have the ability to bomb with in-game currency. Yeah. Uh, what was the third part of this? Uh, Warframe, because... Warframe. Yeah, there was an article talking about how Warframe handles their monetization and how it's essentially loot box free. I mean, they do have the login uh, thing that occasionally will... Uh, well, that gives a random thing, but that's login bonus, which is a different system. Even though, well... Uh, the login bonus uh, in Warframe is essentially a role of a loot box. And this is a partly, yes, I am going to rag on Warframe a little bit, but it also ties into how loot boxes work and partly why regulation is going to be so important is that there's such a thing uh, as yeah, changing the odds where if you have bad roles for long enough or if there are numbers behind the scene, uh, see that, okay, you're less likely to buy now because it's been too long. You're, it pushes the odds up. And Warframe does the same thing with their login bonus, but that is really the closest analogy that you get to the loot box system in general. Warframe's monetization is based mostly around cosmetics or rushing progression. But Warframe is also in a unique position where it is a PvE game. And the most of the currency that's traded is the premium currency, and you're able to really fund the entire your entire play if you wish through trading, and that makes it you know pretty unique actually, doesn't it? Yeah, there's. I think Warframe probably has one of the best free to play monetization methods. Um, I also like how that the wargaming devs that do warships mm -hmm. and world of tanks and world of warplanes do theirs because they have, um, you have individual currencies for the games like the, sorry, the non-premium currency is separate for each game, but you have one premium currency that is shared across all games and their loot boxes are for rewards um just for playing and the rest of the content is that you can buy is actual stuff like cosmetics uh premium warships things like that although i don't like the idea of premium content that you can't get at all unless you spend money because well but you still have to get the premium currency in warframe though in order to trade things right uh no you're able to do it with the uh in-game credits, which 
the credits is essentially a uh, limiter to be able to prevent just mass trading, to be perfectly honest, because there's a trading tax that's in the credits. Uh, but uh, the uh, platinum's pretty much what's used for everything. Okay. So it's like just a way to pull money out of the economy like yeah. other MMOs do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, the credits are pretty much a governor on uh, the in-game progression uh, through uh, crafting or just trading. <laughs> uh, but overall, yeah, it's pretty much uh, the premium currencies what's used for uh, cosmetics and for trading, uh, that sort of thing. And there's no way to trade credits directly. Yeah. So I, that's probably, honestly, one of the reasons that Warframe has lasted so long is they have a good business model. Well, that and like, also, yeah, they they push content. Yeah, they have a good game that pushes regular content updates and improvements, and they have a really good, fair business model. You could probably stand on two of those things. Yeah. Um, but if they only had one of them, the game wouldn't survive. Although it's difficult to say because there have been games that are really good with shitty business models that have fallen apart, like Battlefront. <laughs> I mean, Battlefront sold a kajillion copies because it's Star Wars, but I've heard nothing but complaints since they pulled out all of the microtransactions and loot boxes and stuff, because with the game being designed completely around that terrible business model, it's just an awful grind fest. So, even though it's supposedly a really great game in terms of playing it, it's fallen apart because their business model was so bad. Yeah, and this is mostly of Love Beast talking about Warframe, and we wanted to throw it in as sort of a showing that not everything is loot boxes. <laughs> and uh, granted, I did uh, talk about the login bonus, but that's a, a, yeah, more of a bridge to anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything else here to really talk about? I don't think so. Warframe's uh, pretty good. If you've never played it, you should go play it, guys. We've talked about it many times over the last couple of years at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's my go-to, you know, just kind of veg out game. It's go in and just slaughter things. And with some very satisfying combat. Murder all aboard the murder train. And Q Rage's train. Nope, we had that oh. earlier. <laughs> Which hopefully you'll edit out. Yeah, I will. See, this time I just kept talking instead of stopping. I did the thing that you said that I should do several times, but I always stop anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I just pointed it out because I'm a professional. Anyway, let's move on to our last news topic for the week. UK MPs and campaigners called Detroit Become Human repulsive. First of all, what is an MP? A medical practitioner. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> Uh, pretty much their version of Parliament, or, or their version of Congress, uh, from what I could tell, if I remember correctly. Ah, Member of Parliament, and it's just shortened to MP. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, so essentially, they're congressmen. Yep. Learn something new every day. Okay. Cool. So, they're Congress and campaigners. Yeah, basically, uh, people crying out, you know, outrage. Gotcha. Are saying that De Detroit De blah, blah, blah. Detroit Become Human is repulsive because of the most recent trailer 
Well, at which... least when this uh, was released, I'm not sure there's been another trailer. Uh, essentially, uh, there's a child abuse scene. Well, for those who don't know, uh, Detroit Become Human is sort of a spiritual successor to Heavy Rain. It's a story-driven, quick-time event. Uh, uh, interactive movie? Would that be a fair term for it? Uh, sort of? Uh, I've played Heavy Rain. Um, I mean, there are gameplay Sean. elements, but it's mostly an interactive movie, I think would be a fair thing to call it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of quick time events and walking around and things like that. And in this game, uh, there's androids, and they're starting to gain sentience. And in the trailer, there is a, a child who is uh, being abused. And you have the choice to either s- save the child through uh, your various actions, or yeah, uh, by killing her father, because you're looking at the child and figuring out she wants her father dead, or doing nothing, or yeah, or yeah, not really nothing, but yeah, making the wrong choices, and yeah, the child dies. And they're calling it repulsive because child abuse should not be a form of entertainment. And technically, on that comment, I agree. Child abuse should not be a form of entertainment. But if you replace, if Detroit Become Human was a movie or a book that was exploring this same concept, nobody would say a thing. They'd be like, oh, this is such an interesting work of art that takes this unique perspective on... Bloody bloody blah. Yeah, here here's the actual quote. All right, uh, it is completely wrong for domestic violence to be part of a video game, regardless of, of what the motivation is. Domestic violence is not a game; it simply tri- uh, trivializes it. I worry that people who play this themselves have suffered abuse will uh, use this game to shape the way in which they deal with their abusers. Right. So. I'm just going to ask my android uh, to help me. This just screams out of, well, I'm just going to use the term congressman because MP still sounds foreign to me because, well, it is. It is. Uh, But yeah, this is a legislator seeing outrage of people being upset at a video game for portraying a touchy subject and, you know, Writing off video games because they're video games. Right. So, how are games supposed to grow up and become a more mature medium if they can't deal with tough subjects like, oh, I don't know, uh, domestic abuse? Yeah. And this isn't glorifying it. No, it's not. I, I will, I watched this trailer and I cried. But that is because I have a deeply personal connection, both as a person who was abused as a child and also to many people that I have worked with who have suffered abuse as children or did currently suffer abuse. Um, but I, I, I liked it. I've thought to myself, man, I wish that I could get this and use it for therapy with some kids because giving children agency in that situation giving them the ability to control how they would handle the situation is an incredibly powerful tool that can be used to 
um, heal and allow them to move on and gain new agency in their lives. It, I mean, it wouldn't like fix, you know, I'm making quotes. It wouldn't like fix the problem, but it could be a very useful tool for helping kids or even older people who suffered abuse as kids to, you know, a, a lot of times they will feel guilty or bad. And like, what if I had done this differently? Or what if I could do this differently? And you can't go back in time, but if you can live this out, if you can play this out in different ways and have emotional reactions yourself to the potential actions that you could have taken, like that's an extremely powerful tool. And I don't think that this game was designed with that specifically in mind, but I could apply it in therapy. And it makes me really angry to just read about politicians and other people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, this is the flip side of uh, the, up in arms about it of the regulation call. <laughs> yeah, because the politicians don't understand video games; they see them as toys, especially when they try to deal with more mature subject matter. And I'm going to link uh, Boogie Two Nine Eight Eight's video uh, talking about this subject because he also suffered abuse as a child, and yeah, it it's very uh, touching to hear him talk about how. This should be in video games, how we should be able to talk about this. And that's what this is. It's a, a discussion. It's not glorifying. You're not beating a child yourself. I mean, can you imagine if the Andrew was being the kid? Uh, I, that would be completely understandable outrage, but it's not. Uh, but it is the Daily Mail, so. Uh. Yeah. Isn't the Daily Mail the most conservative? Uh, in in the UK, I'm not 100 percent sure on uh, UK uh, politics. Without going like far, yeah, right winger, they're like sort of on the edge. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I've been listening to a lot more of LBC, not just Mystery Hour, and I'm learning <laughs> very slowly, starting to learn about. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think uh, British LB- politics. Yeah, I think LBC is uh, on the left side of the political spectrum. Oh yeah, they definitely are. Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't like, listened to a lot of their stuff, but you know, you pick up little bits and pieces whenever he's talking about it on the Mystery Hour podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that's gotten such mileage out of you. <laughs> oh, it's so good. My, my, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I know I've told you, but I got my mm-hmm. mom listening to it. She likes it. And she texted me the other day, or every time she listens, she texts me. She's like, "Hey, I just started listening to a new episode of Mystery Hour." <laughs> the other, the other day, she texted me and she's like, "I'm getting in the." <clears throat> I'm getting in our hot tub with a, a margarita and mystery hour. <laughs> you should tweet. <laughs> she should tweet him that. <laughs> yeah. One one day I'm going to get up early enough to actually listen and call in. At, <coughs> uh, but sorry. I mean, I mean, I could call in at any point, but just because of the time difference, James is his three hour stint is done at like eight in the morning. So I'd have to get up earlier than I usually do in order to listen live and call in. But one day I'm going to do it. Now I'm tempted to get something like uh, uh, Skype credits <laughs> to do it. Because <laughs> I imagine that would probably be cheaper. I don't know. Gets a good point. But yeah, back back to this subject. I just... One day, one day... Video games can be considered a a mature medium that can tackle heavy subject matter without everyone flipping their shit. Well, unfortunately, I think it's going to take at least a generation dying. 
Yep. Because right now, the older generation, they view video games as a toy. They uh, they don't see them as an art form. They don't see it as a story medium. And unfortunately, I don't think there's any changing that. Uh, outside of just the progress of the ages. Which, yeah, it makes me sound very cold-hearted when I say it like that, but it's the truth. I mean, people are very ingrained in their uh, ways. They uh, see certain things as foolish. And it's hard to really get someone to look at something with an open mind. They'll see, they'll see video games as something like Mario. I mean, Mario is probably the best example, to be perfectly honest. And they don't see how, uh, you know, ab- abuse or heavy subject matter could be dealt with in a Mario game. Well, outside of princess rape. Yeah. Bowser's a single dad, though. That's a pretty big deal. Well, he keeps trying to marry the mom, but you know, she just won't have anything with, to do with it. <laughs> oh. All right. Anything else you want to say about this, or are you ready to move on? Uh, to I think topic? we're I think we're ready, ready to move on to the corner. Okie dokie. Well, yep, we are going to move on to our community corner this week, and we received an email. Yeah, Yay! the poor moths. They don't. They didn't know what to do. This email comes to us from our good old Jimmy Jam. That is Jim thirty five thirty five. Also, he sent in some questions, and Jim, I have your questions, but yeah, and well, he also uh, sent. As a well, he tweeted us in a uh, uh, an article, but it was pretty much an overview of what we already talked about. So, oh, was Jim the one who sent us the yeah Reddit whatever? That's definitely nowhere near the title, but the long one that was the interview with the guy who found figured out the loot box stuff in Battlefront Two. Yeah, Patient Zero. Yeah. Or, or no, he would be Pandora. Um, but yeah, if you understood what I just said then, while I was like talking in a circle, good for you. But we are now going to go through. I will start. He says, Jim, with all the talk of loot boxes and predatory microtransactions, I feel the need to bring up what I think of as a superset of bullshit monetization models. That is paying for in-game consumables. Oh, boy. (laughs) Paying for things that don't last forever may not seem like a strange or bad idea at first glance. After all, we consume plenty of things like food, concerts, events, TV, subscriptions, etc. that you don't get to keep forever. Even the roots of gaming had us feeding quarters into arcade machines for a limited amount of time. The incentives for companies change when you tie game mechanics directly to money. This inventively leads game mechanics changing to increase the amount of money they get. It's not a new phenomenon. This was clearly apparent to me when playing arcade games versus PC and console games in the 90s. Games employed a plethora of cheap crit... Excuse me. Games employed a plethora of cheap tricks to get you to lose as quickly as possible. When you pay for a movie, you expect to be able to see the entire movie. However, with a racing game, they employ a bullshit checkpoint system to add time to a very short countdown to you losing the game. This pretty much guarantees that you wouldn't ever finish a race unless you were either exceptionally good and knew all the tricks or kept feeding money in to continue the game. Modern games still fall prey to the same incentives. A great example is Grand Theft Auto V Online, which constantly nerfed decent money-making activities in the game in order to sell more shark cards. Battlefront 2 without macro transactions revealed itself to be a horrific slog to unlock heroes 
in progress in the game. For Honor had a pay-to-win gear upgrade system. The examples of compromise design go on and on. But what about the rebuttals of investment banker types who have claimed that games are still a cheap form of entertainment when you calculate the cost per dollar? We've actually made this argument. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I made this argument. Compared to the cost per hour of a movie, games do come in cheaper if you play a ton of them. However, that ignores the fact that most gamers don't have a nearly limitless supply of investment income like bankers do. If games cost $7 per hour to play like movies, then you can bet most people would not spend 200 hours playing Skyrim. And then he, quick math, that's 1400 bucks. What these people fail to account for is that time equals money. The cost of the game is not just what you pay for it, but also how much time you spend playing it. This means that the cost of a game increases the more you play it, even if you don't pay any more money. This means that to get good value out of a game, you need to be enjoying yourself at certain levels, or at a certain level. Excessive grindy slogs like Battlefront 2 or GTA 5 online dilute the enjoyment per cost so much that it becomes terrible to play. This isn't by accident, it's by design. They want you to give up and pay to avoid the horrible aspects of the game they built. This isn't restricted to video games either. Carnival Games mastered this practice long ago. As long as you have additional revenue tied to in-game consumables, you will have a compromised game mechanic. Regards, Jim. I do think I said that with the dollar per hour ratio that it doesn't... If you're not having fun, then it's there's no point. But if you are enjoying a game... Like, I enjoy Skyrim, so that's a really good value proposition. Because, you know, paid for it and then played it a gajillion hours... And then when I wasn't having fun anymore, I stopped playing. But, I mean, there are people who do buy a game and are like, I'm going to play this game for 200 hours and get my money's worth. Yeah. Or this, this is the only game that I'm buying for however long. And then, yeah, you know, nothing is ever free. Even if it costs you your time, that's still something that you've had to pay. And you have a finite amount of time because eventually, sadly, we all die. So, Jim and I have have been talking a lot back and forth about microtransactions and stuff. And he hasn't quite completely changed my mind, but he's made a lot of really good points to, to counter things that I've, that I, and we have said like, well, if it's a free to play game, it doesn't matter. Like that's the cost, but he's like, well, it does matter. Then he's been making this argument a lot with me. Like, you know, you're saying time doesn't, your time doesn't really cost you anything, but it does because you know, you get old and you die. And that's not all of the argument. I would, probably need Jim here to go back and forth with me because I'm sure I will have forgotten a point or say something wrong but also paying for in-game consumables is not something that I have thought about very much but I do know a couple of games that do it yeah World of Warships is one well you can buy all like all of their like camos for your ships and you can buy all of the flags but they're all consumables so you get you know a hundred and then when they're gone they're on you have to buy more well, it's a rarity in paid games, but it has popped up time and uh, every so often. Uh, I believe it was Dead Space Two that had uh, their crafting system tied to a uh, option to buy just the crafting parts outright. And this is a horror game, and you're able to skip a, a progression system and make yourself more powerful. That. Kind of flies in the face of the entire theme of the game, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I believe uh, the latest uh, Deus Ex game also did that, where there was a, a buy-in consumable system. But it's a rare thing because people are pissed off by it, at least in paid games. 
Yeah. And I know I avoid uh, uh, World of Tanks because of the gold ammo. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that that hasn't made it into World of Warships. I don't know if it ever will, but... um, Would you consider things like, uh, like in Warframe, where you can pay and buy the little things that give you boosted XP and credits... What what would you consider those to be? Would that be a that would be a consumable? But you could also get those uh, just in the general uh, way of playing. And I'm not talking about yeah you know, trading it for the currency. That's also part of the login bonus, and it pops up every so often as a guaranteed login bonus. So it's uh, kind of uh, uh, yes, it is a paid uh, consumable, but at the same time, they also give it to you. Go you know, the first taste is free. Yeah. Jim, I have a question for you, Uh-oh. and you can talk to me about this outside of the show, but I think it would be good for other people to hear the conversation as well, um, so maybe you could write back in with an answer, um, or, I don't know, give me something to be able to say into the show, but what are some free-to-play games that you consider good and or fair and or worth it? Um We've, I mean, we've, we've poked fun at this a little bit before about how that you tend to dislike any free to play game we find mostly because you hate the monetization system and you hate the grind. And that, I mean, that's fair. Um, like I said, you've been changing my mind about a lot of that stuff. And this whole battlefront two thing has brought so much of this in the forefront. We've been thinking and talking about it a lot, but what are some games that you yourself as probably the harshest sort of critic that I know for this sort of stuff um, just what are some good free to play games that you consider fair and fun? Send it in next week, or you can talk to me about it and just give me something that I can report. Um, but I just, I just love to hear. I'd love to know. I think we've kind of briefly talked about this once, but I don't remember the conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Also, thanks for the letter, Jim. <laughs> uh, and well, he also did, uh, tweet us, uh, Hang on, let me find it on here. Uh, this trend uh, shows how microtransactions are increasingly ruining games. It's just too profitable to compete uh, to compromise game design, so you could charge money to fix it. <laughs> and he linked the uh, article talking, uh, basically the overview of the entire loot box clusterfuck w- with the interview as well. well uh, if I remember it, I'll uh, put it in the uh, uh, in. The show notes, show notes, but it's uh, at uh, theringer.com, so you should be able to find it there. It's uh, Reddit fighting microtransaction exploitation in video games. So, yeah, easy enough to find if need be. Uh, but if you wish to uh, send us in a letter like uh, Jimmy Jam did, or should it be uh, Jam Jimmy, since I have to be uh, contrarian to you? It can be whatever. <laughs> you can send it to vglpodcast at gmail.com, or just tweet us like Jim also did. BGL podcast on the Twitter. Jim's Jim's birthday was pretty recent too. He told me about it because he's he's now thirty six. Because he told me that he's he's like oh my birthday something what was it he said my birthday means that I'm no longer Jim thirty five <laughs> I'm now Jim thirty six or something like that. Oh, so he leveled up. Yeah, he you leveled up, Jim. You did it. Yeah, but of course, if uh, we use the term uh, from. What was it? NCIS or uh, CSI? What are the crappy uh, 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 daytime uh, uh, 
from a real uh, crime things on TV now. Leveling up means something completely different now. <laughs> or did you ever see that a terrible, terrible uh, uh, episode that they did on Gamergate? I don't think I did. Uh, uh, let's just put it this way. It was cringy as hell. Oh. All right. Which which one was it? Which show? Uh, it, it was it was the one with Ice Cube. Oh, that was Law and Order, Law and Order. Uh, SVU. Uh, see why I was uh, getting uh, the uh, letters confused? Because yeah. I don't watch them to begin with. I mean, I don't watch them anymore. But I, 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 I mean, he was talking about, oh yeah, I heard about that. It's uh, better than uh, Civilization Five with the... <laughs> uh, with uh, the Beyond, uh, whatever the uh, expansion is, and I'm blanking on it now. It's just, yep. It's basically dialogue, insert random game dialogue. <laughs> oh. Alrighty then. <laughs> um, did we have any more tweets or anything? Uh, no, uh, that was it. Okay, okay. Would you like to tell the good ladies and gentlemen what our we're hitting the music address is? Well, I already did the email. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. I remember the email. <laughs> the one week. You- well, I f- I forgot it. It's bglpodcast at gmail dot com. Oh, thank you. Now I remember. Ding. Huh. All right. You see what I did there? You see. Anyways, what what was that that you were saying about something? We're actually hitting the music because we actually get the discovery cue this time around. That is right. Yeah, and boy, the my cue is weird. <laughs> I hit something immediately less. Just what the fuck? So I'm just going to send this to you because we need a little bit of what the fuck after about a month of not having it. Getting over it with Benedict Fodley. This is, I don't know, a guy in a pot pushing himself with a sledgehammer. All right. Let me just, let me. And it's a naked guy in a a pot. Some sort of physics puzzle, or physics platformer, I guess would be the best way to call it. Even though I... A game game I made for a certain kind of person to hurt them. Well... This looks terrible. (laughs) This looks so stupid. That guy looks kind of like Vladimir Putin. Well, it explains why he's topless. <clears throat> An homage to J- Jazuo 2002 Sexy Hiking. Right. Like I said, it's weird I've learned to put it on because why the hell not? Anyway, let's go to something actually decent. There's 2,500 people playing this game right now. There is? What the hell? That's what it says, 2,500. Well, I'm uh, using Firefox right now, so I don't have my my add-on for that. Yeah, 2,500 people are playing this game right now. Today's peak was 3,100. According to this, it's got between 172 and 200,000 owners. Sheesh. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. This was in a a humble monthly bundle. Uh, this, okay. uh, and they got the Steam keys, so. Well, uh, weird but popular, it seems. Indeed. So I had one that was my first game on the list Wylands. Why? This looks like a, a voxel based. Oh, my next one was Wildlands. <laughs> and crafting game? Yeah, that, I don't know, it looks cool. Yeah, that, I'm a sucker for these Yeah, that was games, a big so. thing for a while. Uh oh, I got one. I got one. Okay. 
how about Akami HD? Okay. Cool. I mean, it's a HD uh, remaster of Akami, and hey, it's on PC. I mean, is there really anything to be said about Akami at this point? Um, if you've never played it before, it's really beautiful and really cool. Yeah, which I've never played it. Uh, it's going to be on my wish list. It's really beautiful and really cool. As long as it doesn't feel too dated at this point, because it's been years since I've played it. Yeah, it, I'm just a little concerned about how the port's done, because, you know, it is an older game at this point. So, yeah. Between just how the game handles in general and uh, port issues could be an issue if you or wanted to play Okami for the first time. Otherwise, just, I guess, fire it up an emulator. It was a PS2 game, wasn't it? I believe so. So, that dates it, but it also should be perfectly playable on an emulator. And I got another one right away. What did you get? Shadow Hand. Oh, I also got that one. I'll let you put it on your list. This looks very interesting. Shadowland is a strategic RPG card game. And I've been wanting other games to take the card... Uh, well, both deck building, but also training card uh, CCG elements uh, for quite a while. There's been a handful of them, but not many. And this looks like it is an interesting idea. It looks very RPG uh, heavy. So it's definitely not going to be for everyone, but it, it may be my jam. Indeed. Well, this next game looks like one of my jam. World of Final Fantasy. Oh, boy. It is a Final Fantasy game with chibi-style characters. Um, and it's, it's Pokemon meets Final Fantasy. You're like the main characters, and you capture the chibi-style Final Fantasy characters and go about your adventures using them to battle foes and go through each of the Final Fantasy worlds and... I don't know, do cool Final Fantasy stuff. It looks like it's got stuff from all of the... Everything from Final Fantasy VII up. But looks like it's also uh, frame rate locked. Yeah, looks like it's locked at 30 FPS. Well, that's going to be a, a problem for you. That's sad. That is sad. I have been wanting to play a JRPG here lately, though. Um, when did this release? November 21st. Okay, it'll be a long time before it's it's cheaper. I guess I'll just have to find... Maybe, maybe it's about time to pull out um, The Last Remnant again. <laughs> take another take another stab at it. See if it still sucks? Looks like it does. I liked it, though. I, I just, this would be my third playthrough if I, I, I just through I, again. I was 20 hours in, and I still didn't understand what the fuck was going on with the battle system. Oh, I've beat the game twice. I'm not 100% sure I know what's going on in any context. But anyway... It's fun. How about an extremely crazy Forex strategy? All right. You have my attention. Dominions 5 Warriors of the Faith. Okay. Uh, very graphically dated, but if this is what I think it is, it has an absolutely stupid number of units. I'm trying to find a unit count here because I'm pretty sure this is what I'm thinking it is. It's a very, very, very hardcore 4X strategy. And I'm not finding uh, the unit count, unfortunately, but definitely dated graphically. I mean, it looks like it's uh, from about, oh, 2002? Maybe three? Yeah. 
A lot of these games look that way, though. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the drawback. But the fact that it's uh, magic-based, for one, which there's not a lot of 4X strategy that has magic in it. There are some, but not a lot. So, you know, that's one bonus right away. Uh, let's see. Oh, over 500 battle spells, over 400 rituals. So, yeah, if you want to go absolutely nuts, over 3,000 unit types. Yes, this is the game I was thinking it was. That's a lot. So, if you want to go crazy with a forex strategy in a fantasy setting, then, oh boy, it, we got the game for you. Yeah, that might be a little too much for me. Uh, so, I got a, another one. Reigns, Her Majesty. I've talked about Reigns before. This looks like the sequel to it. In Reigns, you play uh, a dynasty of kings, basically. And it's a sort of a choose-your-own-adventure-style game. And it changes as things go on. And you get little challenges and etc, etc. And this looks like a sequel where that you are a queen now instead of a king. And it looks like there's some item management and a couple of other new gameplay elements. So that's interesting. Okay, well, I got another one. Uh, I've got a very... It's only three bucks. I might buy that right now. I've got a really good discovery queue this time around. Claybook. A physics uh, platformer with a, a time warp uh, rewind mechanic, but it's all clay. And as you uh, go through the level, you deform, you pick up uh, colors, and uh, you're able to uh, shape the world. It's in early access right now, so we'll have to see how it pans out overall. But that is a, a very interesting trailer. It's a, it's a unique mechanic. Yeah, check out that trailer. That that is so neat. It looks like it has VR support as well, or maybe plan to. It looks like it only has a couple updates right now, though. So it's very fresh in the early access phases. It for some reason is not loading for me. Oh, here we go. Ooh, yeah. Doesn't that look cool? That's I, I, I mean, it looks like modeling clay, and and, yeah. I, and you can shape the world and. Uh, uh, use it as a uh, well, a, phys a soft body physics puzzle. So you're able to flood areas by you know, uh, breaking through walls and that sort of thing. Isn't that so cool? That looks really neat. Yeah. I hope this gets developed enough because that's I don't want this to be just a tech demo. But you can see as the uh, your I guess block or whatever it is uh, moves around you're also picking up colors. So it has that uh, visual element as well. I'm not sure if it has any impact, but damn, that is so cool looking. Yeah, I like that. It's really cool. I'll put that on my wish list. That might be something interesting that King would like to play mm -hmm. yeah, as well. Yeah, I just got rain, so... Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, my discovery cue, it's like, Welcome back! Here's everything good! Hands of Fate 2! Oh, uh, I liked the first Hand of Fate. I didn't beat it because I just didn't spend enough time with it. Everything I've heard about this game, it's Hand of Fate, but better. And they go into the game explaining that the dealer has spent ages refining the game and improving it. As in, in-game, explaining the game is better now. <laughs> <laughs> and they address most of the issues. Everything I've heard, they said that the combat is still the weakest part. 
but yeah. If they've improved even just the combat a little bit, yeah, that's uh, good enough for me. Uh, this will be something I'll pick up eventually. Uh, only problem I really had with the original Hand of Fate outside of combat was sometimes it was a little too random. You know, there was times that you would fail and you know, had no impact on, you know, on what you were doing. Uh, you just failed. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I've played the original Hand of Fate a bit, but I've not actually played it a lot. But, I mean, it's a good game, and I've heard nothing but good things about Hand of Fate 2. By the way, <laughs> I threw my Discovery queue. Yeah, I just finished I got, mine. So I had three games. You had what? Wait, six? Yeah, you had six. Well, uh, do you want... Uh, what was it? Uh, Shadow Hand? Do you want to take that for years? Since it... Nah, it's fine. Well, I just don't want you to get jealous. Oh, I'm not jealous. Much. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Discovery Q is welcome to me back, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's Indeed. Really no- I mean, I got a few good games as well. So, mine wasn't, like, terrible. I think you just had a... Mine was just a conga line of good stuff. Uh, or at least interesting stuff, because... I'm not sure if Dominions would be something that I would uh, want to play, because that may be a little too much. But it may be interesting to some of the 4X strategy fans out there. But that playbook, I, I think that's the winner for me right now. Or in that queue. Yeah. Or at least out of games that I didn't hear about before, because that is so cool. Go check out yeah, the trailer for Claybook. Yeah. It was, it was really good looking. Really cool looking art style. Okie dokie. So, time well, for you start plugging things? That is right. Well, that wraps up the portion, or all the bits of the show, and now we're to the one where I get to go first and tell you where you can find my stuff. If you want to find my YouTube channel, you can do so by searching for Gaming Psychologist on YouTube. Uh, I'm currently working on a mining video I've discussed for ages on the show, and it's been on our topic list, like our general topic list, for me to talk about like different mining systems in video games. And I sat down and I just started writing a script the other day before I got sick. Like, I just I just want to talk about this. I've been playing Elite Dangerous and doing mining in that, and I just finished a Factorio run. And that game is all about, well, not all about, but I mean, a huge portion of that game is making sure you're mining enough shit. So I was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna talk about mining in video games and put together a list of some good games and some bad games. And I don't know if this is going to be like two videos or three videos, but it's going to be at least two videos right now. Um, and then your sciences go like, nope. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got sick. So, but that's what I'm working on right now. I'm hoping to have that done in the next week. Uh, put out something nice before I leave on my vacation and, or to go visit my family in two weeks. Um, other than that, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at JMA4707. If you want to watch me stream games on Twitch, which nobody said anything about streaming games, but I think I'm going to start streaming again on Monday night, um, either Monday night or Thursday night. Both of those nights are pretty good nights for me to stream. Uh, and if you want to watch me stream games or participate, if they are multiplayer games in the community stuff that we do, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. If you want to be my friend on Steam, my Steam username is jarthur4707. I accept all friend requests and love to talk to you lovely, lovely people. And please keep the questions coming in. The question segment is fun. Yeah, we didn't get to do it this week, but 
We'll do it again next week. But if you were still let Jared know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is avocado. I don't like avocados very much. Avocado. Or guacamole. Anyways, what about you? Uh, well, my YouTube channel is slowly coming back online. I didn't do the Sunday sampler this past week because I just, like I said, I struck out. I had one game that was just an unfinished mess. Let, let's put it this way. When I shut down the game, I did so because I couldn't progress through the tutorial because I got partway through and... I talked to the guy again to, you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe he gives me an idea of where to go because there's absolutely no map. This was a farming game. And it was telling me, okay, go uh, feed your livestock because it started you with an actual farm, which is unusual for a farming game. Yeah, well, I should say the the Harvest Moon Stardew Valley style uh, farming game, not farming simulator style. All right. And also your grandfather was alive, which is very strange for these games. Anyway, uh, talk to my grandpa again uh, to find out, okay, maybe I'll tell me where the uh, you know, the livestock is to feed it. It reset the tutorial. Reset the tutorial, but my progress then reset. So I couldn't finish the tutorial because I had already watered the fields. So you could see okay. why yeah, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to spend time with this. And there was also other weird things, like all sorts of little invisible walls around all the objects. So there was all sorts of weird collision things. So you can imagine why I didn't uh, yeah, want to do a video on it. Outside of, you know, just starting to bash every single thing. And I usually like to have some degree of competence in the videos, uh, or in the games I play for my videos. Occasionally. <laughs> But yeah, that's why I didn't have the Sunday sampler, because, yeah, that. Uh, but I am slowly getting content up and running again. Never Alone is just had its third episode of just clunky platformer uh, fun. RimWorld, I have my build pretty much set. It took me longer than I expected, just because it updated over Thanksgiving, and yeah, yeah major family holiday mods are going to update it quite quickly. Plus, there were some major changes to some things, so it took a while for certain things to get updated. As a matter of fact, some things still aren't updated and won't be for ages, but I need to get going on that. But, you know, slowly getting that up and running. And Divinity, well, we'll see about that. Probably going to be at least a few weeks because I want to build up content for that. That seems like a, a smart thing to do, right? Absolutely. So probably New Year's for uh, Devan. And we will be finishing it, and then we'll move on to another game. We pretty much have that one sorted out. Uh, we'll be doing another uh, collab with Jared, but we do want to get yeah, more stuff in the can. <laughs> and yeah, life not finding a way to screw us over as well would be very much appreciated. But you can find that absolute nonsense as well as the Sunday sampler where I usually do something completely random and it's usually some sort of review on a game over at gaming with caffeine rage or you just see me tweet about who knows what over at gaming with CR I was tweeting earlier about uh, PUBG yeah having unstable uh, frame rates on uh, on Xbox 
you know, completely shocking, I might add. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, no one expected that. Yeah, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. And uh, since we're still rambling, you could uh, ramble to us. You know, see what I did there? Uh, VGLpodcast uh-huh. at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics, questions, or just tweet them to us, VGLpodcast, on the Twitter. You can also support us with a pledge on Patreon, patreon.com slash VGLpodcast. There has been a change with how Patreon is handling uh, pledges, so do be careful about that. They're doing a service charge. Uh, and I just want to be sure to let people know about that. Grant, we don't have many patrons on there, but we don't want people to just get blindsided by that. It's a, I believe it's a two and a half percent charge plus 35 cents. Yes. Which basically the larger your donation is, the less that will affect you. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, technically you will be charged more money, but the less overall percentage of your contribution that is. But if you are like a dollar, uh, a dollar patron, which is the bread and butter for most Patreon accounts, you're going to see a, a really big increase because you're going to be paying your dollar plus 2%, which is two cents plus 35 cents. So you're going to be paying nearly a dollar 50 to donate a dollar. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of podcasts talking about this and especially podcasts that have a heavy focus on their patrons at the dollar to $5 range. Uh, just getting hammered by you know, people dropping because you know, that, that fee's adding up. And uh, I just wanted to throw that out there that, to let people know. I didn't want people to get blindsided. So a little bit of a yep. service announcement. Uh, but we do greatly appreciate uh, our backers. Indeed. Uh, and, well, if you wish to read the show notes or get the RSS feed, you can find it over bglpodcast.podbean.com, which has been paid for by our uh, generous backers. And thank you once again. Or if you don't need the RSS feed, but want to see us on iTunes, Google Play, or what was it? Uh, Stitcher? That you, Stitcher. Okay. Yep. Uh, you can find us on those services as well. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Key music makes a return, which is doobly do by the same artist. And you can find his work at incomputech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye-bye now. Uh, see ya. Bye. I, I actually did a little wave. I was like, bye-bye, and I waved. They can't well, see you. You can't see me wave. Uh, thankfully. You can't see me either. <laughs> but, but believe me, if, we, if this was a video podcast, we would have no viewers whatsoever. Don't sell yourself short, buddy. You're mighty attractive in my book. <laughs>